Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Why, hello there. To receive each episode of Sacred Symbols three days earlier than the public, totally ad-free. To have your questions, comments, and concerns read on the air. To hear your name in the end credits and to score other cool perks. Please consider supporting this show on Patreon at patreon.com slash Colin's Last Stand. Not only will your subscription net you benefits for Sacred Symbols and allow this show to continue into the future, but those benefits also carry over to other CLS shows too, including the video game-centric YouTube show SideQuest, the retro and nostalgia-themed podcast Knockback, and the eclectic interview series Fireside Chats. In other words, you're getting insane bang for your buck. Again, that's patreon.com slash Colin's Last Stand. Thank you for your kindness, generosity, and support. Without you, Sacred Symbols and CLS couldn't and wouldn't exist. Now, on to the show. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, episode nine. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, Chris Reagan. Chris, how are you today? I am uh, I am out of it. I'm in a malaise. Yes. We were. We just went to lunch and we were talking about that. I, I feel as if I'm in a haze today. Yeah, it's weird. I'm tired. I, I never really sleep. I sleep like four hours a night, frankly. But... Yeah, I feel like there's something something in the ether today. Yeah. Something, something wacky. The, something uh, disturbing in the water. Yeah, no doubt about it. The, the, it's lead, in case you're curious. <laughs> That's what's, the secret missing ingredient. It, it is. Chris, for the newcomers that are just listening to us, just tuning in for the first time, Sacred Symbols is a PlayStation-centric podcast that we do each week. You can support the show, get the show three days early, ad-free, by supporting the show at patreon.com slash Stand. And your support on Patreon is essential uh, for us to keep doing this show and keep going. And your support there also nets you perks for my other shows, Fireside Chats, Knockback, and SideQuest as well. So please consider supporting us if you like our show, if you want early access, ad-free access, you want to be able to interact, submit questions, comments, and concerns, etc., and so on. And you get exclusive podcasts. We're recording this in August. This is the last August episode we're going to do mm-hmm. at the end of August. So by the time you're hearing this on free feeds, an exclusive episode of Sacred Symbols that will only be released on Colin's Last Stand's Patreon will launch and it's a Q&A with Chris which we're going to record right after this actually where I solicited questions from the audience and we're going to get to know Chris as a gamer and as a a player of video games. Yeah, good, a good use of your time. It's a great sure, use of your time. For sure. Let's be honest. I'm a very interesting person. I don't know if you noticed. You're a fascinating person. 
You're wearing what is that hat called that you're wearing? Because my dad wears. I think that it's kind like a newsie. A newsie. Okay. I think that's that's what I what I've referred to it as. Very my dad wears a lot of them too. Very New York. It's a very New York hat. A lot of people. I feel like uh, if I wear this hat, people know where I'm from. Absolutely. I don't see people wearing that hat around here. It's very Italian. You're not Italian, but it's very Italian. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the hat my dad. You know, my dad like would go to get firewood for the stove or whatever. And be like, <laughs> I need to put on that hat before he went outside. So there you go. It's yeah. a very nice hat. Nice I little like design it. on it. Yeah. yeah. It's very very nice. And you're wearing a button down today. I've never seen you in a button down, but it's open. You have a bungee shirt on underneath it. Yeah, I just wanted to describe what you're business, wearing. It's business casual, you know? Yeah. yeah. You know? I just felt like it could be a fashion podcast if we wanted it, it, it to be. <laughs> so, you know, you have that podcast to look forward to. I think it's going to be really instructive for our audience, especially those that kind of are more fans of mine and are getting to know Chris for the first time, which is some of you. And so it'll be a way for you to kind of learn the fundamentals of Chris Raygun as a gamer. I think it's going to be uh, quite cool. And there are personal questions in there, too, so. Yeah, we'll we'll get into all of that. So It'll please be look forward to it. And no, it won't be released to the public. So it's only for patrons. Now, Chris, we have a few notes to get through before we get into everything today. There's quite a bit of news as well. We have quite a few what we're going to call continue to call reader questions, which mm-hmm. makes no sense. But before we do, I wanted to c- catch people up on what our plan is with Spider-Man and what's going on with that. Insomniac's Spider-Man. Obviously, this is the first major PlayStation exclusive, really first PlayStation exclusive at all. That's been released since we started doing the show only back in the beginning of July. And the fact of the matter is we're recording this on Monday. What is today's date? It's the 27th. August 27th is when we're recording this in the afternoon. And we still don't have the game. Yeah. Now, I'm letting you guys know this. I want to be clear about this. I want to speak carefully about this, Chris, if I might. Sure. We aren't entitled to anything. I don't walk around my life or my career expecting that publishers are going to want to work with me or work with us. And that's totally fine. And... You know, the fact that Sony has not sent us the game yet. And 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 by the way, lots of other people are, are caught in this snare as well. It's not just us. It appears that media has the game and maybe everyone else is kind of waiting. Like mm. the so-called podcasters, the so-called influencers, etc. Yeah. But as of a week out from embargo, because the embargo is the is Tuesday. I don't know. It's, it's, it's what would 30 days in August, 31 days in August. I could look at a calendar, but I don't care. But it's Something next like Tuesday, whatever the date might be. Mm-hmm. And... So I'm, I'm letting you guys all know this, not for any other reason than to say that like we're going to hope to have everything ready to go to talk about Spider-Man next week. I promised you guys, we promised you guys that we're going to do two podcasts the week that Spider-Man comes out. We're going to do a normal episode. Episode 10 will be kind of a fundamentally normal episode of Sacred Symbols. And then we'll do a, a supplemental podcast all about Spider-Man, a review discussion, a spoiler cast, all that kind of stuff. But we just might not be prepared to do it next week. It might punt for a week depending on when we get it. So... I'm letting you guys know not because we're entitled to access, not because we think we are owed anything, but because you, as the listeners, are owed something, and you're owed coverage, and we just might not be able to deliver it in a timely fashion for you. So we're going to see how it all goes and go from there, but I'm hoping for the best. <sighs> yeah. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Is that a, is that a decent I way to put it, you think? Is that a fair way to put it? Yes, it's a very fair and diplomatic way of, of talking about it. Okay, thank you. So... I was making Chris laugh at lunch because I'm like, I don't care if we play all old games and talk yeah, about them yeah, on this exactly. podcast. It's just, it's not really useful for the audience. The audience wants to hear about the news. They want to hear about the new games. Yeah. If it was up to me, we would talk about, you know, Final Fantasy VI all day on yeah. this PlayStation podcast. So, yeah. So, it's it's a little bit confusing why we don't have the game, why we're kind of being seemingly shut out. But I don't know. This is a, this is a whole new arena of problems for me. Like, I, I have no, <laughs> this is all news to me. So, I just wanted to throw that out there. That yeah. we're going to do our best to get, you know, I promised you guys that Spider-Man episode, you're going to get it. Yeah. It's just a matter of when, when you're going to get it. If we get the game at the end of the week and we're not ready to go, when we reconvene a week from today, then we're going to just have to punt. Mm-hmm. And 
I think that's better for the product, but I feel bad for the audience because I know you guys are eager to hear more about it. So yeah. it would suck if, I, if, if we get it when I'm at PAX. That'd be like so irritating. <laughs> I'd believe it. I'd believe it. That's the next thing I wanted to talk about is that Chris is going to PAX. Yeah. So if you see Chris at PAX, you should say hello. What are you doing while you're there? I've never been to PAX. So I don't know what I, I have no idea. I know it's a video game thing. I, I've spent so little time paying attention to it. And uh, a bunch of my friends, uh, a bunch of YouTube friends who I've never met in person are going. And it's just a good opportunity for me to go to Seattle. I've never been. And it's a good opportunity to just meet those guys in person for the first time. And uh, I'm really just kind of hanging out. I'll be, I'll be around, though. I'll be around the con. Seattle's a lovely city. Yeah. I think you're really going to enjoy it up there. If you're intimidated when you see Chris, I wrote a little something here that you might want to say to him. <laughs> just, and this is the same. This is, you don't have to say this verbatim, but I feel like this is a, a good starting point for you. If good you rule. See him and, you say, hi, Chris, my name is X. Now, you don't say your name is X. You say what your name is. Yeah. You say, hi, Chris, my name is Colin. Thank you for coming to PAX. I hope you enjoy your time in Seattle. I'm a big fan of your YouTube videos. Please tell Colin how handsome he sounds on Sacred Symbols and is in real life. So that's just a starting point for you to start up a conversation with Chris if you see him again. Hi, my name is X. Thank you for coming to PAX. I hope you enjoy your time in Seattle. So you want to be nice and you want to be gracious, but then you want to get to the heart of the matter. I'm a big fan of your YouTube videos. Please tell Colin how handsome he sounds on Sacred Symbols and is in real life. Right. That's, that's good. It, it seems very um, <laughs> It seems very one-sided. Seems a bit. Uh, seems like uh, it's almost like you wrote it, and uh, fashioned that specifically to tailor to uh, uh, compliment you. Well, that's a fair assessment yeah. of the situation. That's my guess. That's a fair assessment of the situation. There's two other things. One kind of somber and serious. I want to touch on Chris before we start, and the other I think is more instructional, based mm. on what we were talking about last week. Before we get into the serious stuff, I do want to follow up on our VR sales conversation we had last week. We talked about PlayStation VR sales being at three million. If that was impressive. You were talking a little bit about Vive and about Oculus. People had wrote into us, and I wanted to acknowledge John Schultz, who kind of encapsulates it. He wrote in and said, hey, Chris and Colin, good job as usual on the show. I just wanted to comment on the sales figure for PSVR relative to its PC counterparts. Though it might be only 127th of the sales figures for PS4, it actually outsold both major PC HMDs combined. The importance of PSVR is that it is the most affordable entry point into six degree of Freedom VR. You can, during sales, now pick up PSVR for $200 and a PS4 for $250. He says, I recommend the PS, uh, Pro, PS4 Pro, which I just bought, actually. Mm -hmm. A PC that is VR capable still costs at least $500, and the HMDs cost $400 or $500 for the Rift and Vive, respectively. So, that's all right, yeah. Just fair. a little bit I of context. No just a little bit. I didn't know that either. I, yeah. I, I had assumed that there was sales parity between all of those, but it seems like PSVR is by far the best-selling consumer-ready VR right. headset. I, it does make sense. Uh, so, yeah. No, I guess that's a good point. So, way to go, Chris. Yeah. Shut me up. <laughs> Shut me up real quick. Thank you for the letter, John. And no, I should have known better as well, but I didn't. I didn't know. I just didn't know. Yeah. The other thing that I want to talk about before we get into, I guess, more light, fair, more levity is that we should at least acknowledge in some way the shooting in Florida and Jacksonville uh, <laughs> that happened with at the Madden tournament, the EA Madden tournament. Right. And I don't want to get into the politics of it. Not interested. We're not going to talk who, who the shooter was because he's a piece of shit. And we're not going to give him any notoriety whatsoever. But I just want to say, you know, and I'll let Chris say what he needs to say as well if he has anything to say. But I just think we have to be better to each other. And we have to instill in one another this fundamental that I think is important in 21st century civilized society. That violence has no place in it. Regardless of if it's gun violence or whatever the case might be. These violent tendencies and the violence being poured out across this country and across this world, completely fucking unacceptable. And I want you all to w walk in life with a passive mindset. 
So I just want to talk about it from a higher level. That what happened down there is tragic and it's sad and it's terrible and it's unacceptable. But we must instill in our younger generations this, this idea that you keep your fucking hands off of each other and you, and you don't brandish guns anywhere. And this isn't the Wild West or the Civil War. Yeah. Violence is often permanent. And it's sad. And now you see the permanence of it on display in Jacksonville. So whenever something like this happens, I'm always like, I don't know what's what's sadder, really. The fact that like because when I first saw it or when I first saw the news, I was just kind of like, yep, you know, and that's kind of depressing that I was just like, oh, yeah, that happened. Okay, like it didn't. I felt almost nothing. And that concerns me more than it actually happening is that I can look at that and be like, oh, yeah, that's just like I'm not surprised at all. That's a concerning thing. And I think um, I would just hope that, although I'm sure that that's not the case already, that I would just hope that people uh, try to just be a little bit better and not try to use this as some kind of way to push their own preconceived notions uh, about anything. But I'm sure we're, 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 we're like well past that. So, yeah, that's why I don't want to get into the politics of yeah. gun violence and all those kinds of things. Everyone's going to politicize it. Everyone has and will yeah. and continue will continue to it. But I want people to just think about it from a philosophical standpoint about violence. Yeah. And it's just not a, an, an ample solution. I just feel like we have to exercise this archaic way of thinking out of our minds. Passivity and peace are good things. And I just wanted to say that. We won't talk about it any further. That guy yeah. can go fuck himself. I hope he rots. Yeah. It's a good note to end on. On a lighter note. Yeah. Transition. Transitioning <laughs> dramatically. Sean Hughesman wrote into us. Now, we've been doing Fuck, Mary Kills for a few weeks. I wanted, to, I wanted to turn the wheel. Jesus, take the wheel. Jesus, take it. And he brings us to this question. Sean writes in and says, who would you rather get into a boxing match with? Grimace? Or the Michelin Man. Grim- is Grimace McDonald's? Yeah, the purple guy from McDonald's, McDonald's. is Grimace. Grimace. So you'd rather Grimace. fight Grimace. Than, now, are, do you feel like that because you want to beat the shit out of Grimace more than the Michelin Man? Or you feel like you can handle him better? The, than Michelin, handle Man the Michelin Man is, is he looks like, I, I mean, I, he just looks like a bunch of muscles. Like, he's, he's almost designed to be like a, like a pseudo muscle man. You know, I'm not going to fight that. It's ridiculous. I feel like Michelin Man could take your head off. Yeah. Yeah. They beat your face in. <laughs> to be completely honest, I kind of forgot what the character designs of both of these people are. I just have vague shadows of memories about like what they are. Grimace is like a it's purple furry animal, I guess. This is gross. Yeah, and he looks he looks like he's not of this earth. And, yeah, I don't and like frankly, that. if he died, I don't feel like anyone would care. The Michelin man is a white bigger creature with like these almost like cylinders. He's like comprised of like like cylindrical rings or yeah. something. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, uh. He's a uh, little unsettling as well. Yeah, I don't like this. I'd, I'd, I'd grimace. Okay. We'll move on. I feel like you're uncomfortable with the question. Yeah, no. This is hitting too close to home. There are two other questions <laughs> that we... There are two other questions that we received. I'm not even going to follow up on that. There are two other questions, Chris, that we received that I think we... I want to get this on the... I want to get these on the record. Okay. Before we get into anything else. I think these are important to get on the record. Sergey wrote into us and said, Hi, Colin and Chris. Thank you for the great first eight episodes of the podcast. You're welcome. It's all downhill from here. I'm saying that, by the way. Yeah. You are the only thing that makes Moscow's traffic palatable. So we have a Russian listener oh. here. With Spider-Man coming in September and Days Gone slated to come out in February. What are your date predictions on the last four PS4 exclusives? Dreams, Death Stranding, The Last of Us 2, and Ghost of Tsushima, and PlayStation 5 itself. Keep up the great work and sacrifice more infants. Now, that's a little unsettling. 
to say it that way. We just, we did set a precedent, so. We did, although it makes it sound more real when you talk about sacrificing infants as opposed to children. For some reason, the word infant just makes it sound way more dramatic to me. <laughs> yeah, infant's a bit more dramatic. <laughs> so I want to get this on the record. I want to get these predictions on the record. Right. When do you think dreams will come out? Dreams is either... Okay, so I'm betting uh, Dreams is probably a launch for PS5, and if it's not a launch for PS5, it's dead. Interesting. So you think that Dreams will never come out for it, PS4? If it doesn't, if it's not launch for PS4 or PS5, I think it's dead. That's bold. Yeah, that's very bold. Uh, Death Stranding's probably I would I would bet probably f- fall 2020. 2019 seems a bit too soon. Um, Last of Us Two is I would I would bet June next year. And Ghost of Tsushima, I'd bet, is probably f- probably fall of next year. I think that's reasonable. I think that's a decent prediction. Well, you can go back to 2016 when we were supposed to get Dreams betas. We still haven't gotten the Dreams beta yeah. in 2018. I think Dreams will come out, but I, I really do feel for fear, and I think very logically fear for Media Molecule's survival after the game does launch. Mm-hmm. I would say Dreams is going to be a Q3 game next year, so like maybe August or September. I think The Last of Us 2, I think you're absolutely right. I think June is a, is a pretty safe bet. Ghost of Tsushima, I think, is a fall game, October or November. And I think Death Stranding is a PS5 game. Yeah. Or at least will be a cross-generational game. So that's mm-hmm. like 2020. He also asks PlayStation 5 when PlayStation 5 will come out. I think we're both in agreement that we're looking at 2020, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's, too good, it's too good of a year. Yeah. You know, 2020 yeah. is just a futuristic sounding year. It's like the perfect time to launch new tech. Knowing what I know about games and development for PlayStation 5 or for the next PlayStation, I think that they would have been ready for 2019. Again, very similar to PlayStation 3 being ready at first blush for 2005. It got launched in 2006. I just don't think there's any reason to stymie PS4's growth when they Mm -hmm. don't have to. So I think that they're going to put it off, assuming those things are true. So I think reveal January, February 2020, launch November 2020. Yeah. Andrew wrote into us and said, when the new generation of consoles inevitably hits the store shelves, which company will be the first to market? Thank you guys. Thanks you guys and keep up the great work. So this is the other question I want to get on the record. It won't be Nintendo, so No. <laughs> do you think Microsoft think will just, go first? I think we could just safely bet that. I think Microsoft's probably going to try and be available first just because I think they uh, cuz I'm pretty sure PS4 was available first, right? Not that it matters. I want to say much. So I'm going to look that up. I think it's November 15th. They were like a week apart from yeah. each other. It wasn't yeah, they were very it wasn't, close. They were very It was incredibly close. close. Um but I think they came out first. If not, it doesn't even matter because like the, the Xbox One had such horrendous press leading up to it, so wouldn't have made that much of a difference. I think Microsoft's probably going to try and get out ahead. PS4 was November 15th. I was right about that, 2013. And Xbox was like the 20... 20- Xbox One was, yeah, the, the 22nd. Yeah. So the next week. Yeah. I don't think that was really relevant to the success of the PS4 or the... No. Comparable lack of success of the Xbox One. But I think I think it'll be mixed up the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would think it would be wise for Microsoft to go first. I think go as early as possible. I think that that's yeah. smart. But I also think that they need to give their studios time to obviously... Obviously, all the studios that they bought... Or acquired, and they, by the way, talked today, as I was reading the news, that they want to acquire even more studios, mm-hmm. that those are all going to be next Xbox games. I don't think you're going to see, I think Xbox yeah, One is basically done. I think after Crackdown 3, you know, and a few others, Halo, obviously, yeah. and Gears, I think that's basically going to be the end of the Xbox One. So we have those on the record now, and we can, you know, you can hold us to those yeah. predictions and proclamations. So we really, as far as the games go, we really only disagree on Dreams. Yeah, I think Dreams... That's that's the ultimate shit or get off the pot thing. Yeah. I, I think the sooner they get that out and forget about it, the better. <laughs> yeah. But Chris, let's talk more immediately okay. about the games we're playing right now. I want to hear about... You've been playing Red Dead Redemption, which is interesting. Yeah. So talk to me about it. This game obviously came out, what, eight years ago now almost. 
Yeah, it's and, been a, it's been a, it's been quite a while. And it's been this is your first time through it. So talk to me a little bit about how you're feeling about it. Yeah, I never played it. I think when it came out, I didn't I just didn't have the money for it because I was a poor child. But uh, no, I'm I'm making my way through it, and I'm I'm liking it a lot more than I've liked probably any Rockstar game since probably San Andreas. Like I didn't really care for like Grand Theft Auto Four was like the the multiplayer was fun to mess around in, and I didn't care about the single player Grand Theft Auto Four at all. I think I I think uh, I lost my save in the game. I was like, all right, well, whatever. Grand Theft Auto Five was like a similar thing where it's like I I, I never finished it. Uh, I messed around in the multiplayer a little bit. That's it. That's about it as far as I went. But uh, Red Dead, uh, it, it, it's uh, grabbed me. I like the dead eye mechanic. I like the standoffs. I like the random encounters. It feels like very ahead of its time to me. Like it's like a lot of the the random encounter stuff is stuff you'd see like, um, I feel like stuff you'd see now in like, I don't even know, like a Witcher, you know? And I, I, like, I'm playing it on Xbox One because that's really the only way you can play it right now because uh, they have like a 4K update for it. It looks beautiful. It's insane. But no, I'm loving it. I'm actually engaged in what the hell the story is for once in a Rockstar game for like ages. Uh, so I'm, I'm no, I'm liking it. I for some reason remember it coming out in the fall of 2010, but that doesn't make any sense. It was May of 2010, so it's been more than eight years. And I don't think I was telling you at lunch. I don't think that I've played it since around when it came out. We had it a little bit early. Rockstar typically doesn't give their games out too early, but I remember playing it like that week. I wrote the strategy guide for it at IGN, so I had it a little bit early, and I think I probably never touched it after probably June of that year. So it's been a while, and I I did enjoy it and I did like it, and I'm I'm anxious to see. The sequel, although I'm not, I, I, I kind of, I think, remarked on this last week or two weeks ago. I'm not, like, that over the moon about it. Like, I, I'll i be excited to play it when I get it, but I, I don't really think about it at all. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not super over the moon about it, but I'm definitely a lot more interested in it more now than I was before. Like, before I had, I had not, when I hadn't played Red Dead, I looked at the sequel and I thought, oh, that looks nice. Maybe I'll pick it up eventually. But now I'm like, all right, I'll, that's a day one. Like, I'll try and get that as soon as possible. Right, right. Um. Because it definitely looks like, like the animation looks beautiful, and like I read up on some of the mechanics, like being able, like limiting yourself to like certain weapons and being able to holster weapons on your horse and stuff. It just looks, it seems very, very, uh, very detailed in a positive way. Doesn't seem like frivolously detailed. Sure, but, you know, I'd be more interested if you could only play as the horse, <laughs> and you just sat, stood at, you know, at this post that you were tied up in for ten hours at a time. <laughs> it's like a, a like real a real time, time like real yeah. time. That's good. Be fascinating expansion. It'd be a maybe they could be co-op. Game. Yeah, yeah. You can, your friend horse. could play. Yeah, your friend could play the horse. Yeah, I'm I'm down to you know the equestrian kind of situation. It sounds very tantalizing to me. Yeah, I'm playing on Xbox One X right now because there's a 4K. Yeah, it's it's backwards compatible and it's right. a 4K updated up reses. So it's it's the most visually aesthetically pleasing way to play it. Like I don't want to, I don't really want to bust out a, a PS3 or an Xbox 360 and play it on that. I mean, I know that some people like PlayStation Now as a solution. I just don't think it's a workable or viable solution when you have something like backwards compatibility on your on your rival console i'd much rather that yeah personally i'm not gonna stream that game it's ridiculous i still don't really believe in streaming games at all i no, just i don't really either. believe in the technology i just don't know how it's gonna be quite possible but what the fuck do i know i don't really know anything at all yeah i did buy a playstation 4 pro as i said earlier i still don't have a 4k tv so <laughs> but it's it's more of like i could easily go afford one and buy one it's not a big deal but i just feel like they're good man they're good i gotta get a task rabbit to come over and take that fucking thing off the wall and then put the other one up and I don't know. It seems actually it really doesn't seem. That if you're ever in my neck of the woods, I'll show you. I'll show. I'll show you so you can see with your own eyes. So you can so you can discern whether or not it's like a, a valuable purchase. Then how do I know like if I'm getting the right TV? You know, I just always. Feel I'll like help it's a you. I'll help shoot. you out. If you want to help me, then I'll I'll do it. I mean, what the hell? What the? What do I care? 
I have nothing. <laughs> I have nothing else to to do. You know, oh I just God. sit in this apartment all day, looking at my 1080p TV from. I think that TV in the living room is from like 2011. Yeah, 2012. It works fine. You playing Dragon Quest on it? Yeah, I'm playing Dragon Quest, and that's the game that I'm playing. Very nice segue. Yeah. Look at you. Yeah, I'm a good segue. Did you? By the way, speaking of segues, mm. did you know that the the owner of the Segway company uh, died because he drove his Segway off a cliff? I did. I read about that a while ago. I, I had. I learned that recently, it. and I've been thinking about it ever since. It's amazing. And now the Segway is ruined. Ironically enough, it's full in both contexts. It's full circle. Yeah. That they call that full circle. Yeah. You're, 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 his machine turned on him. <laughs> it's very similar, but not quite as dramatic as what's going to happen when in a hundred years the robots take over and they indoctrinate their young by making them watch old Boston Dynamics videos from Twitter Oof. about them torturing the shit out of those robots with like how they bash them in the head with hockey sticks and like knock shit out of their hands and stuff like that. I'm telling you, that's like propaganda in the making. You just oh see God. it. This is what these bastards used to do to our forefathers who created us. It's very Cylon-like. It's sad. Indeed. Dragon all, Quest. Dragon Quest, yeah. <laughs> Now I'm going to talk a about far, Battlestar. Far worse, a far worse segue. Now I'm going to talk about Battlestar Galactica for a little while. Yeah. Dragon Quest XI, I can talk about it finally. Now, I got the game maybe three weeks ago, and the sad reality is that with Guacamelee 2, which I was happy to take a break from Dragon Quest to kind of get through, but also just running the business and taking care of some personal matters, I just haven't had a chance to play it for much more than about 15 hours. So what I did was, is at the time you're listening to this, whether you're listening on Patreon or on the free feed, I did a 30-minute or so, it's about 28-minute Let's Play of the game. That kind of acts as like an early review. That basically shows you the systems of the game, how the menus work, how combat works, and all that. It's pretty cool. Square Enix gave me permission to do it because in the review guide they gave me and in the embargo sheet, it didn't say anything about Let's Plays. It was only about video reviews and about streaming. So I reached out to them kind of expecting they were going to say no, but they're like, that's totally fine. So you guys can go look that look at that at youtube.com slash Collins Last Stand SideQuest if you'd like. But the general consensus early on in the game, and again, it's a 100-hour game, so I'm really not even 20% through it, is it's a traditional Dragon Quest game. I feel like it's a little constrained, mm-hmm. and I feel like it's a little too linear. Now, those things aren't unusual for Dragon Quest, but I feel like they've tried to modernize it in other ways. It, it takes a few pages out of the Tales series. There are no random encounters, for instance. You're running into enemies on the map, which really technically began in Dragon Quest Nine. So that's a little bit different. The maps are kind of like tales like where there's segments so it's like a pseudo open world but you have to go from like segment to segment to segment so i don't know i i think that it's certainly not going to be appealing to people that don't like japanese role-playing games i don't think that chris is going to like the game at all i don't think that that's going to be a thing that's going to happen but if you like traditional grindy turn-based role-playing games that are kind of just like honestly i just turn on a podcast and play it i don't mm-hmm. really listen to what's going on in the game if there's a cutscene, i'll pause the, the podcast but no one really plays dragon quest for the story The disappointing thing to me, there's two disappointing things. The the first is that there's a skill tree system that's really not very robust and kind of half-baked. And there are games, especially in the Japanese role-playing kind of genre, the modern genre, that just do it so well. And I feel like it's inexcusable to have a skill tree that's so boring and so kind of underbuilt. The other thing is that there's not really a robust side quest system that Mm. really is kind of at the hallmark of ladder Dragon Quest games. So, like, there's a few of them, but the menus are a little obtuse. They're a little slow. They don't really explain anything to you. The game just feels very constrained, and I think that would be my major complaint. But Mm -hmm. that's not going to be a a resonating complaint for a lot of Dragon Quest fans. So, definitely worth checking out. I think it comes out next week. We'll talk about it in in the drop next week because I think it comes out, like, September 4th or something like that. And, yeah, that's, that's something for you guys to look forward to. And the amazing thing, Chris, is that if you're a Dragon Quest fan... It has been since 2005, Dragon Quest VIII on PlayStation 2, when I was a sophomore in college, was the last time there was a console Dragon Quest game released in the West. Oh, boy, howdy. So 13 years ago. Pretty cool. Yeah. To get a new one. Dragon Quest IX, obviously 2010 in the West, but that was a DS game. 
And then Dragon Quest X was a Wii MMO that was never released here. So something to look forward to if you guys are looking forward to Wii, Dragon Quest. Wii MMO. That still blows my mind. I know, right? I think they ported it to Wii U, which makes it even worse. <laughs> so those are the games we're playing right now. And hopefully, again, we will have Spider-Man to talk about next week. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Let's get into the news. Yeah. This first item is just the Cyberpunk 2077 demo. Yeah, this just happened. It was released this morning for public consumption, and I just want to hear what you think about it, Chris, because I have not too much more to say about it, and there's not much news to report about it. Yeah. There's, it, like, no information about release date or anything like that, but I'm curious what you what you take or what you took away from it, from what you watched. It looks interesting. It, it definitely looks a lot more dense and detailed than anything that I've ever seen. That's definitely a next-generation game, like, without a doubt. I like what I saw from the combat. I liked, you know, the, the the blade arm thing. I like climbing on walls and stuff. A lot of the gameplay looked really good, really cool. And a lot of the dialogue options looked really in-depth, really... Um, it feels like there's a lot of choice here. My concern is that shooting and, and the combat looks like a lot of engaging fun. But I worry that I know who, like, I know who I am. And I feel like when I'm in a situation where I'm locked in a in a conversation with another character, I feel like I'm just going to be like, okay, when can I, you know, when can I take out my blade arms? You know, I'm an impatient. I, I think, I think doom has, has ruined me honestly. Like, cause now, now all, anytime, anytime I look at a game, I just want to be like, when can I do cool things? You know, but, uh, it definitely looks promising as far as like a, a big detailed, uh, sprawling open world in an, in, like in an, in an RPG format. I'm definitely interested in it, but I'm not over the moon about it. Is, is the best way I can put it, really. I'm, I'm of a similar mind. Now, I, I tweeted out, and this is very common for me because we talked about this with Red Dead last week and Doom, where I probably wouldn't have watched either of those, the gameplay trailers for those or the gameplay footage for those because I don't want to or need to see them to know that I'm interested in playing them. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I don't want, want, really want to spoil it. So I was, I was of a similar mind with this. So I knew that we had to watch it for the show because people were going to want to talk about it. So I scrubbed through it. I watched like a two-minute segment and then scrubbed like 15 minutes and watched like another two minutes and that was it. Yeah. And... I'm kind of of the same mind as you were. I think it looks great. You know, the game was announced in 2012, which is really lost on a lot of people. The game was announced a really long time ago. That was announced around the time Witcher 2 was out. And CD Projekt, being a Polish developer kind of out there, was not a known quantity to a lot of people until Witcher 3 Wild Hunt came out in 2015, in which case, you know, that they really blew everyone away. But this game was actually in development for almost three years up to that point. 
And obviously the teams are kind of moving around and they're making different kind of games. Witcher 3 being a third-person action role-playing game. This being a first-person shooter role-playing game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So very different things and really cool that they're able to do that and and develop something at such a high quality and such a high caliber. I think it's totally awesome. They confirmed at E3 this year that they are the game is coming to PS4 and Xbox One, which is interesting. But I am, again, in agreement with you that I feel like this is going to be a cross-generational game. And yeah. I wouldn't really be surprised if they just kicked it all to the next gen because I think that if we're thinking this game's coming out in 2019 or even in 2020, we might be jumping the gun a little bit. I think 2020 is a pretty safe bet. Yeah. But the point is, is that I wouldn't be surprised if this got a Tomb Raider kind of, or it was a Tomb Raider situation or a Wolfenstein situation, whatever the case might be, where it either concurrently or a little later comes to next-gen consoles and they kind of put it out at the tail end of the PS4 and Xbox One generation. But from what I saw, I think it looks cool. It looks beautiful. But I think that the hype is a little out of control for this game. I don't think there's any reason not to be hopeful and I don't think that there's any reason not to be excited but I don't know exactly what I'm seeing from the small snippets of footage I saw that yeah. are su- that's supposed to completely blow me away as if this is a revolutionary game. I just I think it looks fucking cool as hell. But I don't understand this this notion that this is like the next great hope. I think a lot of it comes from character interaction. Like a lot of the character interaction stuff was like incredibly impressive to me. And uh, like that's cool. That's incredible. That's that's great. That's great for the industry. It's it's good tech. And I'm excited about the tech. But, like, I want to know what's what's fun about it, you know? And I know, like, for some people, that's that's fun, like, navigating conversations and, like, doing that kind of thing. And, and that's fun for me, too. Um, but, you know, it's not as important as, like, the the minute-to-minute 30-second loop of, like, what you're getting from the game. Like, uh, what, what can you do in this game that's incredible? And, you know, you could climb a wall with your arms, with your blade arms, and, like, uh, do crazy dashes and double jumps and that's cool but uh i'm I'm looking forward to it i'm not super hyped about it put a grappling hook in also yeah, please i must have a because then listen you put a grappling hook in there i'm, I'm done i'm a believer right. converted I'm, I'm, in, I'm in your cult that's all you need that's all i need swear to god you should wear a little necklace <laughs> a grappling instead hook? of a crucifix it's just like a it's like a hook shot <laughs> see if i can get you one custom made for you grappling hooks are they are my religion well, that's fair enough yeah. everyone has to believe in something exactly I'm super stoked that people are excited about this. I think that's the most exciting thing for me about it is yeah. that it's a galvanizing game, which is cool. They, they, those don't, Red Dead 2 is another one that's very similar, but it's a game where like no one really is shit talking it and no one really yeah. seems to be down on it. I'm happy that people are excited about single player games again. Like that makes me happy. Me too. Me yeah. too. It's very heartening. You know, we survived a really strange time in the industry where people like me particularly were looked at as fossils and that we were going <laughs> to die off. And this was not recently. I mean, I remember in 2011, 2012, when the new consoles weren't even announced, when we were hypothetically talking about all sorts of weird shit. Are, are single-player games even viable at all anymore? Should every game have a... You know, this is when every, when online passes were being shoved into games and, and multiplayer was being kind of... You know, Bioshock 2 had a multiplayer mode and all yeah. sorts of weird stuff. And those days are done... That was also when we were talking about where the new consoles be solid state. It's like it's an amazing journey back into weird thought processes. Yeah, that's crazy how things just like uh, ebb and flow like that. Number two, new NPD numbers are out, which gave us an awesome glimpse into how games and hardware performed on the American market this time for the month of July 2018. For starters, PS4 was outsold again this month, and again it was outsold by Nintendo hardware. You may remember that it was outsold by NES Classic last month, and this time Switch bested it. 
The best-selling game of the month across all hardware was Octopath Traveler, and that's only counting physical sales, meaning its performance was even better than indicated. Wow. So that's really remarkable. So congratulations to Nintendo yeah, wow. and, and specifically to Square Enix. No, absolutely. That game is beautiful. It is beautiful. I've heard that it's a, it gets a little long in the tooth. I've right. heard that it's, it's not as sticky as people had hoped. Hmm. Well, I mean... Nothing's perfect. But I'm not going to play it because it's isolated on that hardware that makes my hands hurt when I play it. <laughs> yeah. The thing is so wide. It is very... Uh, it, it gets uncomfortable. God bless it, though. PS4 games on the top 20 list for the month include Grand Theft Auto Five at wow. 2, Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy at 5, Far Cry 5 at 6, The Crew 2 at 8, Rainbow Six Siege at 9, FIFA 18 at 11, Lego The Incredibles at 12, God of War at 13, NBA 2K18 at 15, Call of Duty World War II at 16, Detroit Become Human at 17, MLB The Show 18 at 18, Minecraft at 19, and Destiny 2 at 20. Three games in the top 20 were PS4 exclusive, as you can see. I am very happy that, that Crash is just, like, killing it. Like, what I, the hell? Again, I think that Switch port is really helping. Yeah. The top 10 games sold in the U.S. on PlayStation 4 alone, so this is by PS4 SKU, were in order. Grand Theft Auto 5, God of War, Detroit Become Human, MLB The Show 18, The Crew 2, Far Cry 5, FIFA 18, Rainbow Six Siege, Horizon Zero Dawn, and NBA 2K18. Four of those games are PS4 exclusive. God of War is the second best-selling game of 2018 so far, with MLB The Show 18 at the ninth best-selling game of 2018 so far. So in the top 10 of 2018, two PlayStation exclusives. And interesting there, MLB The Show outsold Detroit, I guess you can read into that, which is huh. interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Matthew Scora wrote into us. He said, when do you guys think the reign of GTA 5 appearing month after month on the bestsellers list will end? Personally, I think this could continue until we get a Grand Theft Auto 6 announcement. Maybe then Grand Theft Auto 5 sales will slow down from players waiting to spend money for the new installment. I don't think Red Dead has a big enough mainstream appeal to pull any potential buyers away from GTA. It wouldn't surprise me to see both Red Dead Redemption 2 and GTA 5 on the bestsellers list for October and yeah. November. Um, I don't know. Red Dead's definitely not going to pull that off the top 10. It is more of a niche kind of thing. The Wild West is a far less saturated genre, um, which you think would help, and it probably will, as far as like getting it sold. But it's not going to like, it's not going to knock GTA Five off. No, I don't think so either. I think that we're going to live in a world soon enough where Red Dead and GTA Five will both be in the top five games sold across SKUs, and probably in the top three or four on PS4 alone for the next two years. Yeah, I mean that's the reality of the situation. But I do think it's interesting. Towards Mr. Scorer's comment that how will these games jockey with each other? Because I kind of hope against hope that GTA 5 remains above Red Dead, apart from its first few months. Obviously, Red Dead's going to outsell it. But when, every, when the dust settles, it would be really funny if GTA 5 just literally refused to go away. Again, this game is like a hundred million seller. I don't even know who the fuck can possibly be buying it anymore. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's, it's nuts to me. We're, obviously, a lot of these are PC versions of the game, and also there are last-gen versions of the game, but just mathematically, Chris, we're getting to the point of saturation where every PS4 and every Xbox One, based on sales, will have had a copy of the game sold for it, which is not literal, but figurative and super interesting. And if again, I said it before, if I owned Stock and Take Two, or I was a Hauser brother who founded Rockstar, I wouldn't even know what to do with all the money I'm making. That game was made... 2013? Yeah, five years ago it came out. Almost to the, was almost it 2013? To the yeah. It was September, it was like September 12th or something. Something like that, yeah. So good for them, man. The market is speaking. And uh, I just, it's, it, this, it's staying power is remarkable. Yeah, no wonder no. they're dumping all sorts of money into it and keeping it going. Yeah, no, absolutely. I would be interested though, I don't think they're going to do it, but I would be interested in how Grand Theft Auto 6 would have affected. Like if I were them, I'd be really eager to do another Grand Theft Auto game because you could just kind of rest restart it. You know, <laughs> like you think so? Restart the clock, but then there's like the pressure of like 
because this this is like unprecedentedly like huge, like Grand Theft Auto. I can't think of another. It, it's mind-bogglingly big. So like, there's also an element of like, can we? Can we? It's almost like a Half-Life thing where it's like, Valve probably doesn't want to make Half-Life Episode Three because they know that they can't possibly live up to like the expectation of what that's going to be, and also they don't need to. So like, why? It's kind of in that vein where it's like, Grand Theft Auto Five is making a bunch of money right now, so why? Why bother? That's a great point. From a planning perspective, knowing how long Red Dead took, Red Dead 2, mm-hmm. I wonder, they must be developing it, right? Like, they must have people working on Grand Theft Auto 6. Maybe you just have them toiling away, un- unsure if it'll ever come out. They'll be paid for by Grand Theft Auto 5 sales anyway. So I think you make a good point. But I wonder if they're prepared, like, to monitor the numbers and say, like, we need to be ready to go so that... I'm sure they're making you know, I'm sure they're making one. But I, it's I, but it's also, like, I don't know if, that, I don't know if it'll... This, it's, a, it's risky, I think, actually. You might be right in the sense that if we get a new Grand Theft Auto game, I, want, I actually wonder if Grand Theft Auto 6 would ever happen on the other side of the coin. Because if we get a new Grand Theft Auto game, will it even have a campaign or a single-player component to it at all? It, like they didn't, you know, Ballad of Gay Tony and The Lost and the Damned were really great Grand Theft Auto 4 DLC packs. I loved them. Yeah. Especially Ballad of Gay Tony. I thought it was awesome. But Grand Theft Auto 5 never got single-player DLC support and has meteoric success, has found meteoric success with an online component. And so I wonder if we'll just get kind of a standalone Grand Theft Auto Online or something like that, or some sort of robust suite of options. Number three, last week we relayed word that Supermassive Games, the British studio behind the PS4 exclusive Until Dawn and a host of PSVR games, had trademarked a new title called Shattered State. However, in an interesting left turn, Supermassive has since announced a new horror game series called The Dark Pictures Anthology. While the name is unusual, the rumor regarding the publishing partner for Supermassive's upcoming project was correct. Bandai Namco is the publisher. Obviously inspired by the success the team found with Until Dawn, Supermassive Games executive producer Pete Samuels, who I believe was the guy who played Until Dawn for me on PS3, described the Dark Pictures anthology in a PlayStation blog post as, quote, a series of standalone cinematic branching horror games, end quote. Sounds just like Until Dawn. The first in the anthology is called Man of Medan, and it will launch in 2019, it's about a group of divers in the Pacific Ocean searching for a rumored World War II shipwreck, and obviously they get more than they bargain for on their expedition. As for what Shattered State was or is, it's likely that it's a trademark associated with the Dark Pictures anthology. Brett Medlock wrote into us and said, Thoughts on Supermassive's new horror anthology series? Do you think Sony tried to keep them developing exclusives? It seems like Sony never truly realized the lightning in the bottle they had with Until Dawn. They never even really marketed it, even after critical acclaim. What do you make of this? I was really stoked when I saw this because it means that Supermassive is now going to be making Until Dawn games permanently for the foreseeable future for another publisher. Yeah. No, I, I didn't. I didn't play Until Dawn. I know I, I get a lot of shit for it still. I haven't heard the the phrase horror anthology game. Like, is it just like a bunch of different, get like a scary stories book almost, but like in game form? That's like my sick. Assum- yeah. My assumption is that that's a really cool idea. Yeah. We don't know much about it. I read the PlayStation blog post. It seems like they're going to take what they learned from Until Dawn. Until Dawn is probably, I mean, in my, I'm thinking about maybe a 10 or 12 hour experience. My assumption is that maybe these are three, four, five hour experiences and they're replayable, highly replayable because they're branching, which is cool. But it, la- it allows them to capture, as Brett said, that, that lightning in the bottle that they had with Until Dawn. I think Supermassive knew what they had. Mm-hmm. I remember at PSX in 2014, the first PSX, they did a, a let's play or kind of like a playthrough on stage at the conference. And, the, and they were basically getting from the audience, like, what should we do as they were playing? Like, they were going through a section of the game, and the audience was so enamored with it. And it was at that point, I was like, this game's going to be big. If, like, if they can pull this game off, 
this is actually a pretty cool under-the-radar game because everyone was much more focused at that time in The Order 1886, which came out that February, and Bloodborne came out that early that year too. So yeah. Until Dawn was kind of this like tertiary nonsense that was coming out in the summer that no one seemed to care about. And they just understood how it worked. And I'm excited for them to kind of funnel that into this new experience. My assumption is that Sony did have some sort of relationship with them because of their PSVR games, like The Impatient and Rush of Blood and all of those kinds of things. But I wonder if Namco Bandai, or Bandai Namco now, came and said, we can just give you more money. Like, you don't have to work with these fucking guys. And we'll put and we'll put your stuff on PC and Xbox One too. You don't owe Sony anything. And, and like clearly, they don't. I, I, if I were Sony... One of the only studios that I've worked with that I would have tried to wrap up was Supermassive because I, I feel like they they knew what was going on. They out Quantic dreamed Quantic Dream really yeah. in that game. So very excited for them and super happy for them and really excited to see more. And you're right. Who's ever heard of something like that? Yeah, no, it's, it's a really cool idea. I like the idea a lot. Number four. Ubisoft has announced that Assassin's Creed is going on another break. Oh, good. Indeed, the publisher's CEO, Yves Gilmott, told GameSpot that it won't launch a new AC game in 2019. He also confirmed that there won't be any new games that game that's exterior in some way to the core franchise, instead focusing on DLC support for Assassin's Creed Odyssey throughout 2019. Odyssey itself is set to launch on October 5th this year. Assassin's Creed launched in 2007, and since then only two years have passed, 2008 and 2016, without at least one mainline game released. And even in those years, spinoffs came out. It seems that 2019 may well be the first year since 2007 that no Assassin's Creed game comes out whatsoever. Which is super interesting. And actually, that's not true because Assassin's Creed came out in 2007. So it would be the first year since 2006 that yeah. no Assassin's Creed game has come out. How do you feel about that? Because I'm really interested to see Odyssey. I feel like I've been hearing from people reliably that Assassin's Creed is on the upswing. That like yeah. it's gotten way better. No, that's what I've been hearing too. Yeah, and uh, I think a lot of that is probably owed to the kind of small hiatus they took with the last. What was their last hiatus? It was in 2016, I think. Was 2016 the last one. annual games to me always like they, they they kind of inevitably piss me off, like because I feel like once you get a game right, you get a game that comes out annually. That game is only good for less than a year. And, and until it's out of date and, and until everybody moves on to the next uh, the next damn thing. So I think we need more breaks. And I think a lot of it is because like every year is beginning to feel the same to me because every every year's got a Call of Duty, every year's got Assassin's Creed. Do you remember what the difference was between 2014 and 2016? Yeah, if I think hard because that's like uh, that's a uh, Call of Duty came out then and then Assassin's Creed came out then it's like let's let's slow down. Let's slow down. Take a break, take a breather, let people b get excited about it. Let people want it. You know, Doom Doom came out in 2016. It's been like three years. Everybody's pumped now. You need to build anticipation. And uh, no, I think it's a good thing. I, I think it can only be good for the franchise. I think making people wait for something good always works out. It's, yeah. it's making people wait for things that are shitty or overhyping things that don't work out, like Watch Dogs, for instance. Again, Watch Dogs had interesting provenance because it was the first next-gen game we ever saw. We didn't know it was next-gen, and people were excited about it, but it ended up being this kind of dud. And Ubisoft kind of went away and made Watch Dogs 2, which by all accounts was a great game. But yeah. again, no one cared because the first game wasn't that good. Yeah. You want to find a good mix. You don't want to go Duke Nukem forever, you know? <laughs> you don't want to spend 10 years making a game. Exactly. But you also don't want to just pump out a game every every year. I'm interested in how Assassin's Creed fans feel about this because I don't feel passionately enough about any of these annualized or biannualized series where I feel like... I need them or want them. And I often talk about how if they released a Castlevania 
Metroidvania game every year, I'd be all over it. Or a Mega Man game or a tactics game or something like that. You think that because it hasn't happened. True. Because you don't get a, a Mega Man or an Assassin's Creed. I, like, there was a time where I was like, oh my god, if I can get a game like Shadow of the Colossus every year, I'd be, I'd be set. I'd be freaking out all the time. But then eventually it's like, eh, maybe I don't want that. You know, maybe I maybe I actually do want a bit of a break. So different years can have actual different identities. <laughs> I do think that time acts as a valuable currency as well yeah. towards respecting your time. So what I mean by that is it is kind of bold to release a 25-hour game every year that's very similar to the game that came out last year and then demanding you pay for it and then demanding your time as currency as well. Now, you don't have to give them the money or the time, but... I'd be much more apt. I'd probably be way more into Assassin's Creed, actually, if there was only like four of them total. No, yeah, exactly. I mean, I've talked to people in the industry where they can't even keep them straight. Where I'm like, they're like, oh, did you Assassin's Creed Rogue? And I'm like, which one was that? And they're like, that, that was, was the Xbox 360 one. Yeah, that yeah. Was, that was, was that PS3 one. Right. And then it came out alongside another one that was next gen. Right, exactly. Yeah. Was, I think it was 2014 when they did that. Yeah. I remember that. And then there was like the Liber- Liberation, which was a Vita game, you mm-hmm. know? And then there was like all these, and then there's these like side scrolling spinoffs. My cousin, or not my cousin, my nephew, uh, Declan, who's my oldest nephew, is a big gamer. I bought, I bought him a PS3, a PS4, a Switch. And he went with my mom, his grandmother, to the mall and they called me and I caught them in the nick of time because he was like, oh, I, I want to get this Assassin's Creed game. And he was going to get the Assassin's Creed anthology with like China and India and all those side scrolls. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Like, pick up literally anything else, and I caught them just in the nick of time. So, I like that not only they're releasing the big triple, not releasing the big triple A game, but they're not releasing these other predatory mobile or smaller handheld games, whatever the case might be. I don't even know what Assassin's Creed is about anymore. No. No, so, me neither. Do people even play? Like, I know that it's like going back into time, and then it's a, there's a modern component to it. And I don't even think the time thing is in it anymore. No? I don't even, I don't know. Is it I the have same, no idea. Is it like the same protagonist? No, he's dead. Ezio? He's dead. Is that him? I'm pretty sure he died. Yeah. Something like that. What happened to the Indian kid from Assassin's Creed 3? Is he still around? Uh, I mean, I mean, it's 20, 2018, so he's probably dead. Yeah, he's, well, he's been dead for a little while, <laughs> turns out. Yeah. Tanner Brandt wrote in us and said, with the announcement that Assassin's Creed will be taking 2019 off, like they did in 2016, to focus instead on supporting Odyssey with a rumored big Atlantis expansion, which would be That's cool. cool. Mm. See, that's cool. Yeah. Ah, I didn't know about that. Well, it's a rumor, he says. I've never ah, heard of well, it. I mean, well, it's probably true. Well, do Ubisoft it. Ubisoft leaks literally everything. Do it, by the way. That's cool. Do you think other annual games should do this? Like, have two years worth of content for Call of Duty planned instead of throwing away the last year's game to make way for a new release? What do you think? We talked a little bit about this, I think, with Madden. Yeah. The the thing is that they make so much money. Right. They make, they make so much money, and so many people play it, and it's, uh, I don't know, I think they've they've found themselves in a rut but it's a rut that's that does well for them so like i i don't i don't anticipate them doing much of anything i think it would be better for the franchise as as far as like esteem goes as far as like uh, critical reception goes I, I think if a call of duty came out once every three years and had like genuinely interesting gameplay mechanics and like new fresh uh, ideas on it like i i think people would be a lot more in forgiving towards it and uh people would look forward to it a lot more than they would a game that comes out every other every couple months you know that's part of why I'm kind of interested in Black Ops 4, because I, I haven't played a Call of Duty game in a long, long time. Like, probably, uh, last one I bought was Modern Warfare 2. So, I've, it's, it's, been a, it's been a while, to say the least. I like how you said that. While. A, a while. while. Um, but they have, like, a whole healing system where you gotta, like, heal yourself, actually. And it's like, oh, that's a cool spin. It's actually a neat idea, because they haven't done that before. Right. So, that kind of has me interested in playing it, but it took, like, ten years to get there. 
for me. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know, know, man. I, I think you're absolutely spot on that it's a it's a money situation, and these guys aren't going to volunteer themselves to make less money to please you if they can make more money. The only way that they would get to a situation, Activision, for instance, with Call of Duty, would get to a situation where they did a, a biannual or triannual game is if you literally didn't buy this new one. And I'm of the mind that you might see pretty soft sales on Call of Duty this year. And I don't think it has anything to do with the campaign. I really do think that there's just... And we'll get into this in the reader questions a little bit more, but there's just way too many games. Someone's going to lose. I, well, I, I think we know who's losing right now. Battlefield. Yeah. yeah. Battlefield's getting Titanfalled, like, real hard. Which is a shame, because I think it actually looks pretty cool. But, oh well. It does look cool, but there's just... We're at critical mass, like, where yeah. a loser isn't going to lose, like, a guy or a publisher or whatever that you've never heard of or, like, is kind of entering the market. A big guy is going to lose this year. Yeah. And... We're, I guess I shouldn't say this year because we're going into Q1 and Q2. You have not only Destiny 2 still going on, you have Call of Duty and you're going to have Battlefield. You also have Battlefront 2 still going on, still being supported. You have The Division 2 next year and you have Anthem next year. All of those games can't win. I think Anthem is safe because Bioware, there's going to be enough intrigue in Bioware to make that game sustainable for a little while. Mm-hmm. And I think The Division 2 is a lock to be a big game. I'm curious. Really? I'm not that convinced. Really? I'm totally convinced that The Division 2 is going to be fine. We'll mm. see how that plays we'll out. We'll see. Yeah. But I want to know who's going to lose. Like, the big loser was a, a few years ago was Evolve. No one thought Evolve... Turtle Rock's not a fucking fly-by-night company. These are This is a really solid developer. Yeah, Left 4 Dead. And, you know... and Crazy. And, and, and like, yeah, they... Evolve ate shit. And you know what was another game that, you know, I did call from a mile away that people thought I was crazy was Battleborn. When that game was announced and released, Gearbox is no joke. You know, that's not a, that's not a joke of a studio. No. And they released a game that no one no one cared about. Someone's going to lose. Yeah. So far, it looks like it's Battlefield, but shit, you have to throw PUBG in there, too. And you have to throw in Fortnite. Yeah, there's just not enough. To, and fucking Red Dead Redemption, too. And Grand Theft Auto Online. If you have all these persistent games, <laughs> who's going to lose? Who's going to lose? I think maybe in a few weeks when we get more towards the release of Call of Duty and Battlefield, you and I will make a metric about the game's most likely to succeed and the game's most likely to lose in that persistent ecosystem because you and I have a difference of opinion on Division, I think, will uh, alone make a, a, yeah. a, a tantalizing conversation for the audience. Absolutely. Number five, Devil May Cry 5 has a release date. Capcom will launch the game on March 8th, 2019, so it's joining that Q1 of fucking hell. <laughs> oh Devil- my god. It's too much. Devil May Cry 5 was only announced earlier this year and appears to be a return to form for the franchise, a series that last took a left turn with the release of DMC in 2013, a game developed in Europe by Ninja Theory, a studio that's now owned by Microsoft. The original Devil May Cry was one of PlayStation 2's earliest hits and was a glimpse into Capcom's original idea for Resident Evil 4. Three mainline games followed in 2003, 2005, and 2008 with special editions and collections, all that we've seen since, save the aforementioned DMC. So... Devil May Cry 5 is a return to form, and, and by the time it'll come out, it'll have been 11 years since we got a core game. That's pretty crazy. I saw a trailer for it, and like, I, have no interest in, I had no interest in it, right? Because I'm not really that big on Devil May Cry, because I just I never got my hands on it. But I saw a trailer where he, uh, he dual-wielded a motorcycle chainsaw. And I thought, oh, that's awesome and ridiculous, and I, I, I kind of want it. You know what, what word comes to mind when I hear that? Japanese. Yeah. That's the word that comes to mind. Well, it's, I, I, love, d- I love the over-the-top <laughs> well, I was style tweet- of Japanese <laughs> games. I tweeted like earlier this week that I'm, I'm happy that we, we kind of have 
this weird industry now where we have like God of War and it's like this it's f- this intense father son journey and the Last of Us is like oh I gotta save I gotta save the closest thing to a daughter I have and then you have and then you, and then you, have, and then you have Doom guys like swinging around like Spider Man on <laughs> grappling hooks into in, in hell in hell and, and, and you got you know Dante dual wielding a dual wielding a single motorcycle. All right, I'm 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 down. I'm down with this uh, this uh, era. I like it. There's something for every taste. Yeah, it's great. I love it. We're in, we, we're, we're in a good spot, I think, for video games. When we get to the new games this week, we'll I'll show you just how many games are coming. Yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Did I, you see my tweet yesterday? Yeah, I did. I did. Oh, uh. Number six. The long-awaited Shenmue 3 finally has a release date, August 27th, 2019. Exactly one year from the date we're recording this podcast, Chris. Rumored for years following the release of Shenmue 2 on Dreamcast in 2001, the third game in Sega's franchise was finally revealed in 2015, where Sony took the unusual step of announcing the game's Kickstarter at E3. Sony's ploy worked, though, as Shenmue 3 attracted more than $6.3 million from nearly 70,000 backers worldwide, a record that hasn't been beaten in the more than three years since. So Shenmue 3, soon Shenmue 1 and 2 are playable, I think now or imminently, on PS4. So you can go back and play those. I... I'm super curious how this game does because I think people remember Shenmue very differently than what it actually was. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It was very, and it is very unique in its minutia, let's say. It's all about the minutia. But I wonder if it was so unique and so different and also a Dreamcast game, which everyone loves mm-hmm. to pretend that they had, even though they didn't. I had a Dreamcast. A lot of you guys didn't. They only sold 11 million of them. Not everyone could have possibly had one, guys. <laughs> but I'll be interested to see how Shenmue 3 actually does because the Kickstarter indicates that it's going to be huge. But I wonder if that's literally every Shenmue fan. Yeah, probably. Probably, honestly. Number seven, this one happened this morning and it was unusual. Speaking hmm. of Sega, Streets of Rage 4, the continuation of the old school brawler series has been announced. The game is under development by Lizard Cube, the studio behind Wonder Boy The Dragon's Trap, with help from Guard Crush Games, who made Streets of Fury. Dotemu, the small publisher that released Lizard Cube's Wonder Boy, will be publishing Streets of Rage 4. There's a new trailer, but little other information or even a release date. Once a staple of the Sega stable of developed and published games, Streets of Rage has been dormant since Streets of Rage 3 launched on Genesis in 1994. So this is the first Streets of Rage game in uh, 24 years. That's crazy. Last one came out when I was uh, one. Yeah, you didn't. You weren't. You didn't know shit about Streets no, of Rage. I didn't know shit about Streets. I'm a Streets of Rage. That's how like I'm saying it. Streets of Rage. Streets of Rage. Like Jesse Ventura. Streets, yes. Yeah. Exactly. Streets of Rage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't like say Streets of Streets of Rage. Yeah. Streets of Rage. I played it on uh, Xbox Live Arcade. It's pretty good. Yeah. No, those games are good. Uh, the era of brawlers. There was a lot of great ones. Yeah. The late 80s and early 90s gave us, you know, Double Dragon and all those other games, too. Yeah. Number eight, just in case you haven't gotten enough Dark Souls, there's good news. The Dark Souls trilogy is coming to PlayStation 4 this fall. On October 19th, in fact. Dark Souls Remastered, Dark Souls 2 Scholar of the First Sin, and Dark Souls 3 The Fires Fades Edition will each be on their own disc in a steelbook case, if you get it physically. And yes, the DLC for each game comes with the trilogy, too. Interestingly, Bandai Namco is setting the price at $80 for the trilogy, perhaps a sign of things to come with next generation when next generation finally rolls around. I think that is a harbinger, my friends. If you're looking for a physical version of the game, you'll need to pay attention, though, as there will only be a limited quality, quantity available for purchase. Interestingly, GameSpot has confirmed that the trilogy will not be launched in Europe and will only be available in the U.S. and Asia, so our Canadian friends can just import it from Amazon. 
but Europeans will have a little bit more of a difficult time. PS4 is not region locked, so shouldn't be a big deal if you do want to import it. And I know for some reason there's so much Dark Souls news and Dark Souls re-released games and stuff. I'm like, I don't, I just don't care anymore. Stop. Stop it. I can't take it. You're just shaking your head. You can't even fucking it's say anything. This is too much. Azan Essa wrote into us and said, with the release of Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, can you please share your thoughts about the success of the Souls games and Bloodborne outside of Japan? What do you make of, do you like these games? I don't know if we've even ever talked about that. I like Bloodborne. Dark Souls to me always felt a bit like, like really clunky to me. I always felt like every time I did something wrong, it didn't feel like my fault entirely. And that kind of always kind of bugged me, you know? Like uh, whenever I would like take a swing at an enemy and my sword would hit the wall, but like his doesn't. And it's like, what is what, what are the rules here? Uh, but Bloodborne felt a lot more fair and a lot more fluid, to be quite frank. I'm excited for Sekiro just because it just looks, it reminds me a lot of Tenchu, which apparently nobody played. Stealth <laughs> Assassins. Yeah, stealth. It looks, you, you can stealth in it and it, it's got this nice like style. I, I, I like it. I'm excited about it. Um, I'm not surprised that the Souls games are successful, though. It's like, they're really, really try hard. <laughs> you know? I don't yeah. have the time for that. I don't have the patience for it right now. But uh, Sekiro might might pull me in, I think. I'm, I'm in complete agreement with you about Bloodborne. I think they enhanced the speed, like, 20%, and it made all the difference for me. Also, the really gothic... It almost looked like a Castlevania game. Yeah. And I know that was a really common theme with people talking about the game, but what I loved about Bloodborne was... I was like, this is a fucking Castlevania game. This is cool as hell. It just feels like really stable to it. Like, like it doesn't feel as jittery as the, maybe that's like a weird. Maybe it's because I was playing it on like a weird. I don't know. Maybe I got like a shit copy or or whatever. But Bloodborne ran so like buttery smooth, and I don't remember feeling the same way about Dark Souls. Any of them. I didn't play the second or third one, but I played Dark Souls multiple times. Like restarted it over the years multiple times and. I was surprised that I liked Bloodborne. I gave it a shot, and I really quite enjoyed it. While, yeah, Dark Souls, Dark, and I can't speak to Dark Souls 2 or 3. I can speak to Demon Souls, which, or Demon Soul. Is it Demon Souls? I think it's Demon Souls. Yeah. It's Demon Souls, but it's Demon's singular possessive. That was the weird thing about it. It was D-E-M-O-N apostrophe S. Souls. Souls. Yeah. Which makes no sense. But nonetheless, I did play that. Didn't really like it. Played Dark Souls. Didn't really like it. Played Bloodborne. Pleasantly surprised. Surprised, and... By the way, with From Making Sekiro, I don't know that they have resources to even be making a Bloodborne 2. I, I, I always thought that that would be a lock. Like, Sony would be like, we got we to gotta get another Bloodborne, you know? Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It's just got such a hardcore audience. What are you thinking of Sekiro? It looks cool. Yeah. But again, it, I mean, we we're, it's funny, man, because now we're getting a glut of this shit. You yeah. know, like, because Neo type. and Neo 2. Yeah. You're getting Sekiro. You're getting the Dark Souls games re-released. Again, Bloodborne will never go away. The Old Hunters DLC was really fun, apparently, so... It's not quite as bad as it could be, but it's, I think it's going to get worse. Mm-hmm. And now it makes you wonder, even if From is working on Bloodborne 2 as well, like, now you announce that, like, where does... I just feel like, again, to our point earlier, there's more... There's more. It's more special when you kind of take your time, you know, and release just things a little bit more deliberately. Number nine. Housemark, the Finnish studio best known for PlayStation-exclusive games like Super Stardust, Dead Nation, Resogun, and Alien Nation has revealed its new game, and it's completely off the beaten path for a team best known for its high-score-chasing arcade-inspired romps. The new game is called Stormdivers, and it's a battle royale game. To differentiate itself from other battle royale games, it's emphasizing speed and traversal. Interestingly, the team is bringing it to PC first, at least in early access form, though it's also set to come to PS4 probably in 2019. Now, I should note before we talk any further that I'm very close to Housemark, and you can take what I say about them with a grain of salt, uh, with a grain of salt. 
because I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of their games. This game, I won't even touch. I didn't even look at the trailer. I, I, you know, I'm not interested at all. AG Rowe wrote into us and said, hey, Colin and Chris, Colin, I know you are or were a big Mark fan, as am I actually have gotten mostly Alienation and Next Machina being the exceptions. Every Mark game, Platinum, with Resogun easily being my favorite. Resogun is still one of PS4's best games. It's a great game. Anyways, what are your thoughts on their new game, Storm Divers? Also, what the fuck is it? They showed a trailer <laughs> at Gamescom, and I can't tell if it's a Battle Royale type game or just online shooter or what. Do you know anything about it, and do you have any interest in it? Thanks, guys. Keep up the great work. Love this podcast and all CLS content. Thank you, AG Row. Do you know anything about Housemark? Are you interested in them? I, I don't know anything about them specifically. I, I, I've played Resogun, and I liked I really enjoyed Resogun, but I haven't, uh, I haven't necessarily followed their studio uh, specifically. I like have a I had like a small obsession with them for a while because they make the most they make the finest twin stick arcade games that have ever been made like period yeah end of story yeah Super Stardust exceptional exceptional game no matter if you're playing it on Vita you're playing it on PS3 you're playing it on PS4 absolutely brilliant flawless game Resogun phenomenal game absolutely incredible game Dead Nation incredible game they mastered the arcade shooter the right. twin stick control scheme. Twin stick controls are not easy or intuitive, not only to play, but to make games like that. And that they make games that are all on the sticks is an amazing feat. And they were very honest. And they did tell us in the spring or summer, early summer, I think that like Next Machina and Alienation, which were their last two games, just didn't sell well. And we need to do something. What we're doing isn't working. And my fear for them is there. And we were just talking about this. Housemark's not going to win. I don't care how good Storm Divers in di- Divers is. I'm telling you right now, this game is going to be dead on dead on arrival. You think it's going to be like Radical Radical Heights? Yeah, pretty much. Probably yeah. better. But well, yeah. Well, listen, Housemark can do whatever they want. I love those guys. I have a lot of love for them, and I think the answer to their problem is to make the ultimate twin stick shooter. Make a game so good because if they think Next Machina and Alienation were good enough, they're wrong. Those games are their two weakest games. Like they they just are. Next Machina lost the entire spirit of what a Housemark game is, and Alienation did too. They're just too complicated, right. and they're they're almost too big. Resogun is a game you can beat in a half an hour, and it's the same thing over and over and over again, including the way the enemies spawn and stuff. People play them because it's fucking good. Yeah, and it's about chasing high scores and doing things flawlessly and cleanly, trying to rescue the humans. Whatever. Dead Nation the same way. Like. Dead Nation is a zombie shooter, very trite kind of thing, but exceptional game. Collecting gold, finding armor and secrets and, and playing with a friend and getting a better score. That's what Housemark is. And that's their identity. And and this is, I, I really, I'm scared for them with this. If they're putting all their eggs into this basket, yeah. you know, and they don't have anything, anything spiritually Housemark going on. No yeah. bueno. Yeah, that's... <laughs> No Anytime I see Battle Royale, I just kind of, my eyes glaze, you know? I'm like, why? The, the fact of the matter is, and I hate to say it, I mean, I, I always told you guys we were always going to tell you the truth. I'm always going to tell you what's on my mind and in my heart. I understand Next Machina didn't sell well. It was very well received. And Alienation sold softly, but remember what the games you made are. You guys made some of the best downloadable PlayStation games ever. The ecosystem is 12 years old now, the PSN ecosystem. And there are very few games that are as good as Stardust or Resogun or Dead Nation on the platform. And there are thousands of games. I don't know. When I saw that, I was very distressed. I think that they're misreading the, the signals. <laughs> yeah, no. That's putting it lightly, yeah. Number 10. The Division 2 is being released in five different SKUs. 
according to new information from Ubisoft. And pre-ordering any of them will give you access to both the upcoming private beta and the Capital Defenders pack, which gives you some gear. The first version of the game is the standard normal version of The Division 2. One step up from there is the Gold Edition, which gives you the game in addition to a DLC pass for all one year one content, seven days early, and three day early access to playing the core game itself, which is pretty cool. The Ultimate Edition gets you everything from the Gold Edition, plus a ton of downloadable weapons, outfits, and more. The two Collector's Editions are both known as Dark Zone and Phoenix Shield, which both come with their own statues, books, and other goodies, in addition to all of the digital goods as well, and early access, etc. I think that you'll probably be fine. I, I actually think the Gold Edition is pretty tantalizing, because you get the DLC pass for the Year 1 content. I think there's going to be three big rollouts the first year, as far as I remember. And then you yeah. get early access to the DLC, and you get early access to the core game. Yeah, I mean it's it's smart. I don't like this idea of like you get something that you, you have to like pay for to, for a special edition to get something that's already in the game. You know, like it's in the game already. It it always kind of irked me. Like what? Why? I don't, I don't like these skews. It's funny because maybe I'm the one that's out of touch because when they announced, I think it was at E3, when they came out on stage and said like we're gonna have three DLC packs the first year, I'm like, there's not even a release date for the game yet. Yeah, and I said that, and a lot of people got mad at me, being like, Argh! like. They're, at least they're showing that they're going to support it and stuff. And I'm like, man, the gaming industry's changed. You guys have some Stockholm syndrome for sure. You know, like, yeah, people used to actually be mad about this sort of shit, but not anymore. I guess. I guess it does show that they have a long tail in order to support it, which is tantalizing to that's, prospective that's, that's, gamers. You know, that's that's cool. And I know that I know that not every bit of DLC is just th- this carved away part of the game. But it, it bugs me on like day one where it's like. You get the gold edition, you get some downloadable weapons, but it's like, where? okay, well, how do I, do I get those in-game? Can I get those in, like, what's the, I don't know. The Division is just not looking, to me, like something that's all that, it it definitely looks better than the original Division, but it also just kind of like, I, what is unique or interesting about this? I, I haven't seen anything that's like really grabbed me, you know? Yeah, I'm excited about it, man. I gotta be honest, I'm looking forward to it. That's fair. One of us can only be right and one of us can only be wrong. The question is, who? I don't know. We'll see when it comes out. Maybe, no, I'll, maybe it, I'll be dead wrong. It was weird how that game, the original game, spoke to me. It was certainly not a game that I thought was going to speak to me. I remember downloading it a week or two before it came out and being like, eh, I'll just check it out. Mm. Whatever. You know? And I like immediately loved it. I think it's it. so fascinating that like that it spoke to you and it's, and it's like arguably one of the weakest single player games I've ever played in my life. It's so strange. Like I can't wrap my head around it. It's like insane to me. I loved, I loved playing it by myself. Oh my god! It had such a haunting, lonely feel to it, which I maybe is unintentional, but it was certainly, yeah, I don't think it was intentional. Was certainly, what I got out of it. <laughs> <laughs> Number eleven is a wrap up. Bandai Namco has re- revealed that Soul Calibur Six is getting a second story mode called the Libra of Soul. The fighter Tira, originally from Soul Calibur Three, will also be available as a, do- a downloadable character, as well as well the latter being an all new character. Langrisser 1 and 2, popular Genesis tactical RPGs from the early 90s, are being remade and coming to Japanese PS4s in 2019. It's unclear if they will come westward. The original Langrisser came to the States in 1991 as War Song, while its sequel never saw the light of day in the West. NIS, according to website Gamatsu, is set to reveal a new PS4 action RPG called Lapis Lee Abyss. Although it's unclear if it will come west, it probably will. So-called comedy RPG action RPG Super Can Magic Zero is coming to PS4 by the end of 2018. I think that's also by Gamatsu. And finally, Life is Strange 2 is set for primetime. Episode 1 will launch on PS4 on September 27th. So that's right around the corner. Are you a Life is Strange guy? No. I haven't played it either. I heard it was pretty good. Yeah. You have it. Yeah, it's somewhere, right? Yeah, so I I was looking at it. It's on your shelf there. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think Aaron was playing it. Yeah. That copy, actually, I think is signed by them. I don't don't even know where I got it. (laughs) (laughs) Might have stolen it from someone. 
All right, it's time to get to the new game releases. My God, this is a uh, this is it's quite a list you have here. I resent that I even have to read all these. David S. Graham wrote into us and said, "Does the presence of physical distribution maintain an objective level of quality with the obscene amount of largely irrelevant releases on the PSN? Not exclusively, mind you. The Nintendo eShop is guilty of this as well, perhaps more so. It begs the question." In the absence of discs and cartridges, would that lead to a race to the bottom and the floodgates being completely opened up? The process of getting a tangible product to store shelves could very well stymie cash grabs and shovelware. Prior to the advent of digital storefronts, most console libraries seem to have a greater percentage of crap to not crap, though admittedly the Wii certainly weakens this observation. Now, it should be noted that being retail released isn't just a sign of being high budget, as many indie titles, of course, later receive printings based on the positive reception of the title, like how Severed on Vita got a limited release. This is an interesting question because there are 26 games coming to PlayStation Network this week. 26 games, which back in the PS3 era, in the mid, early to mid PS3 era, we would probably get 26 PSN games in two or three months. What do you make of that? Because when I saw that, I'm like, I was making the notes last night, late mm-hmm. at night. I was I was texting with you and I was scrolling through the drop and and I'm like, and I was copying and pasting all the stuff onto the document. And it's just like. Eight games, nine games, ten games, eleven games, twelve. And I was like, how many games are on this list? And who who is buying any of this shit? <laughs> like, that's my biggest question. I don't know. I don't know. Like, people who are making mistakes. Like, it's got to be like accidental. Ah, oh, whoops! I I bought I bought I bought uh, Duck Hunt Six Arcade. <laughs> Arcade. <laughs> I don't know. It's, Move it's, enabled. I think the presence of like physical you know, discs and cartridges probably does help. But again, it, it also just, the Wii was like covered in, just covered in shovelware. And that was, I don't even think the Wii could download anything for, for a while. <laughs> like, I, I vaguely remember like not being able to download things on the Wii. You get like maybe Super Mario, like virtual console stuff. Yeah, virtual console, yeah, as opposed to WiiWare, which was so My weird God. in the beginning. Yeah, I, uh... I don't know if it'll make much of a difference because physical media is on the way out anyway. So It is, and the barrier to entry with physical, as he noted in his own letter, is kind of undercutting his whole notion of, of that being a barometer for quality because yeah. it's not. If there's only 20, if there are 26 games rather coming out in a week, like how do you even know as the consumer when none of these games are going to get reviewed, by the way? Maybe one or two of these games will even have a Metacritic score. So how do you know what's good and what's bad? And why do we have this idea that just because a game exists and it's submitted to PlayStation that they have to publish it. It's bonkers. It's like saying that Safeway, the supermarket chain for you guys that don't know, has to carry every brand of mayonnaise because it fucking exists. They carry three brands of mayonnaise because that's what the consumer really actually wants. If the argument is that it exists and therefore should be sold, then I just don't understand why you're not segueing that to literally every store in your mind. Yeah, no, it's it's ridiculous. It's also kind of like, like, imagine if you were trying to go see a movie, right? And every day, every single day, like movie theaters have limited, they, they have limited theaters, you know, they have limited screens and, and auditoriums. Imagine if every day there were a new set of movies, you know, how could you even like, it's just, just like, it's just an onslaught. Like, how do you even keep track? I can barely keep track of like what's, what's in theaters right now, you know, and it takes weeks for them to cycle out. So like every day. There's like a new thing in the theaters, and it and it could be just like a a cash grab. It could be just like a like a, a single frame movie of of a like some video of a dachshund. You know, like who knows? Who knows what you're getting? There's no quality control is the issue, and and like when there's no quality control and you get flooded with a bunch of stuff, then all the good shit is on page three or like on page five, 
And, you know, it's just, it's not good. You don't want to flood your market. Everyone's like, well, quality is subjective. And I'm like, yeah, it's subjective, dude. And if you see, if a game comes across your storefront and you're like, who the hell is going to play this? And you're a person of knowledge and you're a person of, you have a reputation. It's like we said a few weeks ago on the show, like Sony can invest in some sort of council that literally just deals with this and they can all vote and it can have a really high threshold, by the way, where like you have to have nine people out of 12 vote no to get a game off the store. But my whole take is that, dude, I'm telling you the games I'm about to read, some of these games are going to sell fewer than a thousand copies. In fact, I bet you more than half of them sell fewer than a thousand copies. Yeah. If that's the case, then who is benefiting from this? Sony gets, what, 30% of your cut for your $10 game and you sell 100 copies? They just made $300. Kazurai wipes his asshole with $300. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Meanwhile, a game like, I don't know, like what came out, Guacamelee 2 just came out. Yeah. That should be a marquee game on your storefront. And maybe a few games flank it, but that should be a game you're pushing. Instead, like, who the hell knows who, if anyone's going to be able to find it? Yeah. You know? No, it's, it's a problem. And uh, I just don't understand this idea that this is a free market. No, it's not. The free market is that Sony has the right to sell you games. Their market is proprietary, and they should have uh, the say over what is sold in it, just like Safeway sells fucking Hellman's and Kraft mayonnaise. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, would just, I would just relay it just back to the past, and, you know, all the, all the great arcade games that came out in, um, you know, I would say, like, the, the, the 2007 to 2012. You had, you had Trials, and you had Limbo, and you had Super Meat Boy, and you had, um, you know, Explosion Man. Uh, you, you had all these, like, really, really fun, unique games that got the attention they deserved because they weren't surrounded by things like, I made a game with zombies in it. <laughs> you know, like, that weren't surrounded by some shitty reskin of Tetris or, like, the 50th Minecraft ripoff. My God. Like, when Minecraft came out, the Xbox Live Arcade was, like, full of, <laughs> full of, like, Fortress Graft. And it was just the same. And there comes a point where you just have to be like, okay, well, people are going to remember this point in time or people are going to remember these games a lot more if they stand out. And they can only stand out if they get the support that they need. That's, that's really it. Yeah, that's it. They need they need visibility. And these studios live or die by these sales. It's not... There is no room for a dud. Should we just power through it? God help us. Bad North comes to PlayStation 4. Bad North is a charming but brutal real-time tactics roguelite. Defend your idyllic island kingdom against a horde of Viking invaders as you lead the desperate exodus of your people. Blade Strangers comes to PlayStation 4. A malevolent force known only as Lena... <laughs> is devouring data from a vast interdimensional network of servers overseen by sentient computers called Moats. In desperation, the Moats seek to awaken the Blade Stranger in hopes of vanquishing Lena. What did Lena ever do to anyone? I know Alina. It's rude. Bow to Blood came to PSVR, or comes to PSVR. Take to the skies as captain of a powerful airship and discover a fantastical world of airborne gladiatorial sci-fi. What? <laughs> Compete to become champion of the arena as its inscrutable overseers test you and fellow challengers in a fantasy reality show. I have no idea what that said. That sounded kind of badass until the reality show came in. Catch and Release comes to PSVR. Catch and Release places you on a beautiful mountain lake and lets you freely explore and row around while you choose your fishing spot and take in the scenery. Row around. <laughs> so There's something about that that seems so like... If you want to sell your fishing game, don't call it Catch and Release. Call it like Capture and Kill or something like that. I just like that the gameplay description is like, yeah, you, you, you row around. Yeah, row around. <laughs> it reminds me of that game Endless Ocean on Wii. Did you ever play that game? No. It was a game where you just dove into the ocean. It was actually kind of peaceful because it was, at the time, unique. Where yeah. you just dove in and just swam around and like s- seeing what happened, I guess. Yeah, it's like flower kind of. It's just like this serene yeah. kind of thing. What I remember about it the most is that I, for some reason, bought it on Circuit City's website. Oh. I think I had like a Circuit City card or something Rest like that. Rest in peace. 
RIP. Claybook comes to PS4. It comes out on the 31st. It is not a Tuesday release. Claybook is a unique world made entirely of clay. Every inch of the environment can be shaped and molded. Everything has matter inside it, not just an outer shell. Clay can be liquid or solid. It can be deformed and destroyed. Okay. Divinity Original Sin 2 Definitive Edition comes to PS4 on the 31st, also at retail. Gather your party and get ready for a fantastic adventure. Your imagination is your only limitation as you seek to restore divinity and save the world. But beware, only one of you can become the new divine. Donut County comes to PlayStation 4. <laughs> Donut County is a story-based physics puzzle game where you play as an ever-growing hole in the ground. Meet cute characters, steal uh, their trash, and throw them in a hole. Okay. All right. Downward Spiral Horace Station comes to PlayStation 4. That sounds about right. Downward Spiral Horace Station is a mysterious and atmospheric zero-gravity thriller set in the lost and forgotten Horace Station. Fernsgate comes to PlayStation 4 and Vita. After awakening in unfamiliar woods, Alex, an ordinary high schooler living an ordinary life, learns he has somehow ended up in a fantasy world dominated by conflict and destruction. Sounds like my world. Fire Pro Wrestling World comes to PS4 also at retail. The greatest grappling game, Grappling. But they're not talking about the grappling you want. Ah, oh, damn. The greatest grappling game returns to take on the world in Fire and I'm sorry, World on PS4. In Fire Pro Wrestling World, customize every aspect of the match from your wrestler to the ring itself to fight your way to the championship belt. Firewall Zero Hour comes to PSVR. This is the game, the marquee game on the drop this week. This is the one they wanted to talk about the most, so I assume this is good. Mm-hmm. In Firewall Zero Hour, choose from one of 12 contractors hired by anonymous contract handlers and work as a team to either protect or obtain valuable data housed on a laptop and located in dangerous locations around the globe. Mm-hmm. Gate yeah. of Doom comes to PS4. Gate of Doom is a classic multi... Actually, it says Gate of, Gate of Doom uh, is classic multiplayer <laughs> action RPG for one or two players. Originally released in 1990 and a noted classic arcade title from the 90s. I wonder who translated that from Japanese. Oh, boy. Inevitably. The Golf Club 2019 featuring PGA Tour comes to PlayStation 4. Do you have what it takes to win the FedEx Cup on the PGA Tour? Compete in an all-new officially licensed PGA Tour career mode. Play on famous courses like TPC Boston, TPC Sawgrass, and more. Haunted Dungeons Hayaki Castle comes to PlayStation 4 on the 30th. Form your party of secret agents from among four races, Human, Oni, Tengu, and Nokomata. Then conquer the terrifying and mysterious yokai-filled castle. Naruto to Baruto Shinobi Striker. Oh my goodness. Comes to PlayStation 4 retail on the 31st. Do you have something to say about this? No, it just <laughs> never ends. The Naruto series is back with a brand new experience. You can battle as a team of four to compete against other teams online. Lead your team and fight online to see who the best ninjas are. <laughs> Everyone always makes fun of me because I say, it's. I think it's Naruto. It's Naruto, uh, it's man. No, it's Naruto. NBA 2K19, the prelude, comes to PlayStation 4 on the 31st. NBA 2K19 continues to push limits as it brings gaming one step closer to real-life basketball excitement and culture. Download NBA 2K19, the prelude, for free and get a head start on your My Player before the full game release on September 7th. NBA 2K is, like, really, along with the show, really perennially fantastic sports series. Yeah. Paddlebox comes to PS4. Paddlebox is an adventure fighting game inspired by the Punch-Out! series. It's a surreal boxing quest with a duck. Okay. Shikando Soul Eater comes to PlayStation 4. Shikando Soul Eater is a Korean bullet hell shoot 'em up with set within a beautiful and bizarre world of Asian mythology. I feel like I've played that before. Yeah. I feel like that's a port. Hmm. Splash Blast Panic comes to PlayStation 4. Splash Blast Panic is a multiplayer competitive party game where you must shoot, ram, dodge, and overall bully your opponents with a variety of water gun based weaponry. God, there's more. Oh my goodness. God, there's so many more. Strange Brigade comes... God, there is so many more. Strange Brigade comes to PlayStation 4. (laughs) Sateki the Witch Queen has risen once again, and only one troop of daring heroes can stand against her fearsome army of mummified monstrosities. 
the Strange Brigade. Sunless Sea Submariner Edition <laughs> comes to PlayStation 4. Take the helm of your steamship and set sail for the unknown. Sunless Sea is a literary role-playing game of discovery, loneliness, and frequent death set in the award-winning Victorian Gothic universe of Fallen London. Sunless Sea is actually really good. Never heard of it. I don't know about this one, but uh, yeah. Oop, I, I scrolled too far down. Too bad I can't just scroll down there permanently. No. Switchblade comes to PlayStation 4. <laughs> Fight your way up the season ranks to become an online superstar in a spectacular future sport championship. Seamlessly switch between heavily armed high-tech vehicles at any time to create endless tactical choices and a frantic 5v5 battle to claim victory. Think of the children comes to PlayStation 4 on the 31st. Little Bobby's dead. The barbecue is on fire. Jen's eating poisonous berries and the birthday cake still needs icing. It's just another wonderful day out with the kids and think of the children, a frantic parenting simulator for up to four players. That sounds pretty cool. That sounds good. I, there, was a, there, was, there was a similar kind of game on, on Steam a while back where you would like, you, one player played as like a parent and another player played as like a baby and the baby would try to kill itself <laughs> and the player and the, the parent had to like stop it. <laughs> That's awesome. I, yeah. I, that, sound, that sounds like the most interesting game I've seen on this list so far. No, yeah, definitely. Torn comes to PSVR. Torn is a dark science fiction mystery. Explore the abandoned mansion filled with strange machines and disturbing experiments belonging to an eccentric scientist missing for 64 years. That's a long time to be missing, man. Did, are people still looking for him? That's not missing. That's dead. Yeah, you're That's dead. dead. Or, you're you're gone. 64 years. I think they call that MIA. Yeah. Viking Days comes to PSVR. You usually see Vikings in epic battles of fury and glory, don't you? Now find out about daily Viking life. Play through 10 different minigames to prove just how much of a Viking you truly are. That's a weird pitch. And finally, Yakuza Kiwami 2 comes to PS4 retail. Rebuilt from the ground up, Yakuza Kiwami 2 uses the Dragon Engine to update one of the series' standout titles into a modern classic. Also new to Kiwami 2 is the Majima Saga, revealing events that occur prior to the game. Hmm. I don't know what picks that. I don't even know if that I pick any of these games. But oh, my God. I'm scrolling through the amazingly long list. I know that people love Divinity Original Sin 2. Yeah. Um, I think Sunless Sea is pretty good. Sunless I, I, don't know, I, I don't know what this edition is, but like, it's I'm probably really... just the console edition. You played it on PC, yeah, yeah. yeah so this is probably ago. just the console. It's edition. kind of interesting, yeah. Think of the children sounds cool. I don't know if it's any good, yeah. And again, I don't mean to be mean and assuming everything is shit, but you know that some of those games are shit, right? <laughs> Statistically speaking, yes, you have to know. Yeah. All right. Oh, by the way, I want to say this real quick before we get into anything. Any question that I've read so far, and any question that I do read. Uh, I think I have enough codes. I have to look into it. But at least some of the people, if not all of you, that have submitted a question that will be used today, I will reach out to you on Patreon and I will give you a code for Rainbow Skies, which oh. will give you access to the game on PlayStation 4, PlayStation 3, or Vita, depending on where you want to play it. That's from our friends at East Asia Soft. By the way, East Asia Soft sponsored the first four episodes of our show. This is not a sponsorship. These are codes that I never gave away when I was supposed to give them away. <laughs> so go support my friends over at SideQuest Studios and East Asia Soft. That's cool. Actually, before I get into the questions, too, I should say that, again, if you want to submit questions, comments, concerns, the only way to do it is to support Collins Last Stand on Patreon, patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. At the $2 level or higher each month, you get a lot of perks over there, exclusive access to content, etc. But you can also submit questions each week. Each Friday, I put up a new thread. And again, $5 or up each month gets you early ad-free access to every episode of the show. Brock Thomas Walsh wrote in, said, hey, guys, absolutely loving the show. After the success of Mega Man and Mega Man X Legacy Collections, if Mega Man 11 sells well, will we see Mega Man X9? Thank you for everything. Keep the great content coming. I guess I'll take this one. Yeah. I think it's a perfectly safe bet that you'll see Mega Man X9. The game that's missing in the Mega Man anthology is the cross game that shows how we get from Classic to X, because they take place in the same universe. So I want that bridge game, but 
Mega Man X9, I think, is a... I don't want to say it's a lock, but I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't already in development. And from what I'm hearing, Mega Man 11 is very good. So, of course, who will be the final judge of that? Me. I will be the final <laughs> judge on if Mega Man 11 is good or not. But we'll find out soon enough. What is it, October 2nd or something like that? October 3rd? 4th? I think so. Yeah. Soon enough. I'll probably be playing that before I play Spider-Man. Hayden wrote in and said, I'd love to get your guys' take on the Battlefield 5 backlash. That has been topical again this past week, mainly in regard to the proto uh, promotion of female combatants. I almost said proto-man. I guess I had Mega Man on the mind. I personally don't care about dice playing loose with historical accuracy, seeing how there are rare examples of female combatants. But the community has been vocal about this issue. Thanks, fellas. Keep those baby sacrifices coming. Hmm. What do you make of this? I don't think it's as big of a deal as people think it is. I don't think a large percentage of people are looking at a Battlefield gameplay trailer or a Battlefield uh, teaser trailer and seeing a woman in it and being like, I'm not going to play that. Like, that's not how hype works. Um, Battlefield 5 is a victim of its release window. It is going up against Red Dead Redemption 2, a sequel to one of like the most highly esteemed Rockstar games of all time. From it, it's, it's a highly esteemed game sequel from a highly esteemed studio. It's competing with uh, a Call of Duty that's actually looking like it's kind of doing weird stuff for once. And it's a Battlefield game that's just kind of... What even is it? It's World War Two. Yeah, it's World War Two. Like uh, we've seen that. Like Call of Duty. Call of Duty tried that last year. Didn't work out too well. Battlefield Five looks good, but it doesn't look as interesting as anything around it. And I think that's kind of the problem. And they didn't have the greatest show. EA is also in a, a bunch of hot water because of. I think you're still seeing shockwaves from the Battlefield, uh, uh, the Battlefront Two, whole that whole thing. I think that this particular issue about like a woman in a game, I don't think it's the big reason why people aren't pre-ordering or people aren't that interested. It's important to note, too, that the rumors, or it's not really rumors, but the data about pre-orders is not coming from EA itself. It's coming from uh, the Cohen Group, I think, which is a, an analyst group that, that yeah. are typically right. I mean, they make their money by being right. So I'm not surprised that Battlefield Five pre-orders are soft, but I do think you're right that people are conflating the reasons. This is exactly what I talked about before. There's going to be losers. Yeah, exactly. And I, th I think I'm sure like some people were like, it, it, here's the thing. The people who are going to be upset about that particular thing aren't the kind of people who would have pre-ordered anyway, I think. I think those are the kind of people who are a little a little bit snooty, a little bit more like, I'm not going to pre-order such, such trite garbage. Wow, nice you know? accent. I don't know why they're British. <laughs> they are snooty over there. But like, with their I, fucking you know, I, top hats. Snooty is another way of saying like, like in the know. Like they're probably the kind of person who's like on this like don't pre-order, never pre-order kind of thing. I, I really doubt that it, it really amounted to a huge hit. I think it has more to do with EA being EA and them going through the Battlefront stuff. It being sandwiched between two huge releases. Like Call of Duty's a titan. Like I haven't seen like when was the last time Call of Duty sold poorly. I think sales were down last year, the last two years, but it's like we're talking about 18 or 20 million copies. Yeah, it's, like it's, it's insane. Corey Burns wrote in and said, hi, Colin and Chris. Do you feel there is a still a still a place in the gaming market for smaller genres such as Toys to Life and music rhythm games like DJ Hero, Guitar Hero, etc.? Loving the show. Thanks for all the entertaining content. What do you make of this? So we're talking about two different things here. Toys to Life and music rhythm games. Smaller genres? I don't. I don't consider Toys to Life to be a small genre. Isn't that like a big thing? It was. I think it's waning now. Because, like, I think there's a Lego component that seems to have cannibalized, I think, everything else. Because well, like I, the Amiibos I, and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, Amiibos big, but I do. I am of the mind, like, I, I they're not out, I guess, but I have Amiibo. 
Yeah. For the characters that I want, like I have a Mario and a Mega Man and everything, and I'll get certainly get the fucking Castlevania ones if they release those. But I think a lot of people are buying Amiibo because they're just the closest we're going to get to toys for Nintendo. Yeah, probably. <laughs> and I think that, like, Disney Infinity is gone. And Skylanders, I think, is still going. But I don't think they released a new game. That's a Toys for Bob game or a Toys for Bob series. I think Toys for Bob, of course, is working on Spyro. Yeah. So I don't know if there is room for it. It's too. It's very expensive, because you have to buy the $60 game and then the toys. Yeah, and then the peripherals for, like, DJ Hero. I think the future of rhythm games has potential, but uh, I think the future of rhythm, game, rhythm games is on VR. Because Beat Saber is one of the most incredible experiences. VR, it's one of the most incredible rhythm game experiences I've ever... It's, it's better than Guitar Hero, like, without a doubt. It's better than, better than DDR. It's, it's so good. I will also remind the audience, and I think you know this already, Chris. I know you do, but rhythm games, music games did come back two years ago and bombed. Like, yeah, completely bombed. People have to remember there was a new Guitar Hero and a new rock band after a multi-year hiatus, and they completely tanked. I think Mad Cats, which is the peripheral <laughs> yeah. guys, I think they published Guitar Hero or Rock Band, one of those, and ate complete shit. Like, totally put themselves in existential danger because of it, which reminds me a lot of what THQ did to itself with Udraw, which is exactly why they went down. So music, the music genre, I think Chris is right. The peripheral-driven music genre is dead because no one wants that shit in their house anymore. But... If all you needed was like two PlayStation moves and a VR headset, it's a little bit different. These next two questions I want to take together. Alejandro Segovia wrote in and said, Hey, Colin and Chris, with Microsoft seemingly doing what they did late in the Xbox 360 lifecycle where they had an option to get a console subsidized, do you think we're moving to a future of subsidized consoles? Technology is getting more expensive in the true 4K era, so I wonder if these options will be available to offset any potential expensive consoles. For some reason, I don't believe a $399 option is feasible with true 4K technology if the new gen is only two years away. Looking forward to your thoughts. And then the other story that I really want to penetrate deep, I want to get deep into this question. Right. It's from Mike Lavalle, and he says, Hey, Colin and Chris, love the show. A welcome addition to the CLS lineup. As Microsoft continues to develop great additions to their services, Nintendo's hardware is tough to match from a mobility and ever-increasing library of hits. What are some things you see Sony doing or wish they would do to stand out from the crowd? They have a great piece of hardware themselves and a great range of first-party games, but I'm worried that they're setting themselves up for next-gen failure without more innovation. These two questions are intimately related to one another. Microsoft, it's not a rumor anymore by the time you submitted this question. Microsoft did announce today that they're doing that all-access thing, which is basically going to be a way for you to pay them a small fee every month depending on if you want an Xbox One S or an Xbox One X, mm -hmm. and you get Xbox Gold, uh, Live Gold, you get Game Pass, and you get the console over a two-year period, you pay them something like, I don't know, $40 a month or something like that. Mm -hmm. What do you make of these questions? Because I do, I do truly believe that this only goes one of two ways with PlayStation 5. Either Sony is very wisely sitting on a mountain of features that it will not turn on until the PS5 is announced or shown, and these things are not related to PS4 and that's fine. PS4 doesn't really need any help or they are not going to do those things. In yeah. which case they're already at a major disadvantage. I actually tweeted out, got a, a lot of retweets and a lot of traction. Some angry people, someone called me an Xbox dick licker or something that's like that. That's crazy. Which I was that's like, insane. You're literally, he's literally wearing a PlayStation t-shirt. Yeah, as we speak, I gave my Xbox one away. <laughs> you gave it away? You didn't even sell it? No, I just gave it to my sister's boyfriend. I'm like, I don't want this. Just get this out of my house. And, and then Cuphead came out, so that was a mistake. But they're, and by they, I mean Microsoft, is they're doing really special shit. Yeah. And if you're not, a, if you are not concerned about that, 
as a PlayStation fan now, I don't want to say concern because if you don't own stock, it doesn't really matter. But if you want your platform to be robust, if you want to be on the winning platform, which I think we all do simply because then you attract more developers and more gamers and, and, and yeah, and no one will a, question you have a more robust ecosystem, right? No one yeah. questions the PS4 ecosystem is dominating the Xbox. Oh, hundred percent. But the industry's memory is short. And the only thing I have to say about that, and I think we've said this in the past, Chris, is all you have to do for proof is see how many people abandon Xbox One for PS4. And people who think Microsoft is down on the mat with Xbox, you're wrong. Now, the only thing that they have to worry about are games. Now, I understand that that is a major component of yeah. a console success. But you don't acquire studios and snap your fingers and make games. It takes years. And it takes consistency. It takes talent, money, execution, timing. It takes all of those things. Yeah. I mean, even even the, uh, the next Halo is on a five-year dev cycle, which is like... And so that's not a similar. That's not all that dissimilar to um, Ascension to God of War. So I don't know. I think they're paying a lot of attention, uh, and I think they actually are making some pretty good moves. And I think Sony would be very, very, very. Ooh man, they would be making a huge mistake not to pay attention. In my estimation, these kind of cycle switches between like dominant console, they can they can be pretty easily predicted, or at least like reliably guessed. And I'm currently looking at the PS4 right now as the PS4 is in a state where, uh, or Sony specifically, are in a state where it's very, very cocky. And it's very, very, it's spent a long time at the top. It spent this entire generation at the top. Like, right off the bat, they won. Yeah, before it even came out. Before it even came out, they won. So it's been, how many years? Five five years? years? Five plus years. They haven't had to truly compete for five years. And I think that leads you to make some... Decisions that aren't so consumer friendly, like not really paying attention to crossplay, and it also just makes the, the competition make consumer friendly decisions, like this subscription thing, like Game Pass, like uh, backwards compatibility. I'd like to think that they're wise and they know what they need to do for the next system, and they're just kind of holding their cards because why? Why update the PS4 if it's doing well? I just don't know that there's any reason to believe in this company, <laughs> and I, I think that that's that's just the honest. I don't truth. know. They haven't they haven't messed up that bad. They, you know. No, they haven't, but they don't also seem to get very fundamental things. They don't understand why PlayStation Now is not a facsimile of Game Pass. They don't understand why a minority of people, but still a vocal minority of people, want cross-play on Fortnite and these other games. They don't understand you know, a, a, the value proposition of PlayStation Plus, of removing games from PlayStation Plus, like Vita games are going to get cut off. PS3 games are ultimately going to get cut off. There are little canaries in little coal mines... That yeah. when you like put them all together into a quarry, let's say, you have a problem. I don't see how people don't see a Microsoft that is just swinging, just absolutely swinging wildly at its competition. I think the E3 presentation here was so far up their own ass with that presentation that I really got bad vibes about the future of PlayStation. Not permanently. They'll figure it out. No. I, but I don't have confidence in them. I don't see why I would. I mean, like, like, why would I? Have, why would I be confident in them? They've never been truly consistent ever. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I, I just, I say it's hard to. It's hard for me to believe that they would fuck up so bad. But at the same time, it's like I don't know. Every, everybody seems to fuck up every other generation. It exactly. Seems. So I've said it before. There's yeah. no consistency. Like, there, no one dominates uncontested for more than a generation at a time. It's never happened. The only time it ever, and I said this, the only time it ever really happened was PS1 and PS2. And that was really, you know, PS2 was a DVD player. Yeah, that, that was, <laughs> you know, like, that's, it, what, that's what it was. So, again, a great console, but it wouldn't have sold 150 million based on its games. I bet you would have sold half that. So, yeah, 
I don't mean to be pessimistic. I know a lot of people look at me as inherently pessimistic, and maybe I am, but Microsoft is the stu- is the company that is consistently making tantalizing moves. Sony's shutting studios down. Microsoft's acquiring studios. Sony's making you stream games, PS3 games. Microsoft's just letting you download games you already bought. You don't have to pay for them if you already own them. And, you know? up, and up-resing them. Like yeah. That. Excuse They're, me? Sony makes excuses that PS4 can't do X, Y, and Z. Microsoft admits Xbox One couldn't do X, Y, Z and still makes it happen anyway. They made it very clear with backwards compatibility. Xbox One was not supposed to be able to do that. It, but that's what's interesting. It's like it's interesting to see how like quickly they walk back once they realize that they're not winning. You know? Right. And it's the case with every single, every single one. Every single uh, console manufacturer does this. I'm a PlayStation fan through and through. You guys know that. And I've never been apologetic about it. I love PlayStation. But we've been hurt before, my friends. And, you know, we only have to look at Vita and other, you know, situations more recently to, to know that, you know, the situation isn't automatically going to be positive. And anyone who's saying that Microsoft doesn't have games, I want to hear you say that in three years. I think you're going to see a very different ecosystem in three years from now when we're waiting for, you know, Sony Santa Monica's next game and Sucker Punch's follow-up to Ghost of Tsushima and Naughty Dog's next game and all, and we're in complete silence and all of these studios that Microsoft bought are all releasing their games in an 18-month period. You know, it's, you got to understand how games are made a little bit to understand where this is going, not where it is now, yeah, but where it's going. You it's know? gonna be it's gonna be an interesting ride. I, I really like this aspect of the industry, honestly. It's like my favorite part. It's like it's like watching sports. Yeah, exactly. You know? It's awesome, and I'm rooting hard for Microsoft. Just like I'm rooting hard for Nintendo because them doing well can only force Sony to do even better. It's a good... Exactly. Zach Bryce says, Loving the show, Tuesdays never felt so great. Aw, look at that. My question is for Colin specifically. You say you don't play multiplayer games and that you have no interest in them. I'm wondering what games turned you off for multiplayer or if it's just you don't like PvP-focused games. I personally don't like PvP gameplay and I love PvE content like the raids in Destiny. I'm sure Chris can testify to how much fun those raids are. Yeah. I just feel like you might be shutting yourself out from really fun and dynamic ways you can play multiplayer that are more than just killing other players. Thanks again for all you guys do. Now, Zach, this is an interesting question, and I do want to get Chris's feedback on this, but obviously I am aware that multiplayer games are not only PvP. Yeah. I do not... It's not even about fighting and killing players, because as I said, when I played The Last of Us online, I was really good at it. So it's not like I can't be good and learn how to play a game properly. And I was really obsessed with that game online for like a couple months. In like the summer of 2013. Mm-hmm. And ironically, I really only played it to get the trophies. But then I stuck around. Because you had to play for like 40 hours each on each, like both as the Fireflies and whatever the other side was or whatever was insane. Right. So it's not the act of playing against someone inherently that I have a problem with. Because sometimes that can be really exciting and nerve-wracking and, you know, quite quite tantalizing. It's the idea that I can't play at my own pace or my own leisure. You know, right. and that's a problem for me because I, as anyone will tell you when they watch me play games, it can be frustrating to watch me play games sometimes because if if I'm playing without a guide or a walkthrough, which I usually am, and I'm, I, I like to get platinum trophies, I like to do everything in a game, I'm going into like every corner and like looking up and around and like, you can't play with a partner like that. Like Bunty wants me to play Division with him when it comes, Division 2 when it comes out with him, and I think I'll do that for a little while, but I know ultimately I can't do it because I don't want to play like that. Yeah. I want to play at my own speed and I want to play at my own leisure. And sometimes I want to run through a map and sometimes I want to like look at every polygon of a map. Right, right. You know, so that's kind of my take. But what is alluring to you about PvP or PvE that draws you in? I'll typically pay, play both based on what mood I'm in, you know? Like I, I don't really shut myself out of PvP because I, I like the feeling of one-upping someone in real time. Because it's not quite as like satisfying when you outsmart an AI because it's like, okay, well, this thing was designed specifically just hard enough that I could still kind of beat it 
albeit with a challenge, you know? Uh, but with another player, it's like, that's a, that's a human being who, like, who has a functioning prefrontal cortex, you know, who's old enough to understand how a control input works, who I've just completely decimated and outsmarted. And, and that's what I like about arena shooters specifically. It's really based on mood. Like, sometimes I'll boot up Doom because I'm just in the mood to just go at my own pace in a single-player shooter. Other times I'll boot up Halo and, and it'll be a PvP thing for me. But I think both are entirely valid and it makes sense that people have specific preferences. Yeah, I just, I, I, just tend, yeah. I just tend to like try and get as much out of the game as I can. I love that. And I, that's why that's one of the things that attracted me to you about uh, and have you as, as our co-host for Sacred Symbols is because you do bring that different perspective. Like I would never bring up and we would never talk about online experiences on the show because I don't have any, <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> But that's that's always been gaming to me. Gaming has always been a solitary thing. It's yeah. fun to enjoy those experiences by talking or to others. That's what we do here. But I've never been drawn or very rarely been drawn to a game where I'm like, let's play this together. You know, that's interesting. Yeah. Like I don't I like the exact opposite. Like most yeah. of my gaming experiences are like with friends, like even Crash Team Racing. Like I, I played at a friend's house and I would play that with, you know, friends and like even that's that's and Tekken and all those fight. I would play those with people. I think you're a little more social than me, too. Yeah. Well, I also just didn't have any games oh, that's true. of my yeah. own. <laughs> I had to rely on people. John Lynch wrote into us and said, hey, guys, love the show. Thank you, John. Oh, thank you, Johnny. I'm just curious, what did our guys think about all this excitement everyone has over the Switch? I own one, but I genuinely don't understand what everyone gets so excited about years old games coming to Switch, like Diablo 3. What you, do you make? You're, you're a new, or not, you're not a new Switch owner, but you've been playing it more recently with Dead Cells and other games. I haven't touched mine in any significant way since last October or November. So when Mario Odyssey came mm-hmm, out. Yeah. So what do you make of the Switch? I uh I exactly. like it. I like it, but it's like That was uh, so timely. <laughs> yeah, the, the perfectly timed you on. I think um I don't know, the Switch for me is like my airplane thing. Like it's what I take on a plane. It's what I take on a on like a long trip. You know, if I if I'm just getting sick of like sitting there, I'll I'll put on Doom or like I'll put on you know, Dead Cells or, or some other weird Crash Bandicoot I have on it also. But people getting excited about old stuff coming to it, it, it does kind of confuse me because it's like, I got excited for Doom just because I love Doom so much and I would love to be able to play that on the go. But what I find is I still play it more on on, on my console than I do on uh, on the Switch. So it's like, what, what I, why did I even get this? There are certain like playing Crash Bandicoot on the go is amazing. Like it's 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 that that is a great thing that's happened. We live in a good reality where that's a poss- where that's a possibility. But it's also just like this plays so much better <laughs> on uh, on the PlayStation uh, PS4 Pro. You know, it's I don't know. I feel weird about it. I think it's a solid machine, but it's it's also just in a very weird place. It's exactly right. I think that it will be exposed in the next couple of years when the new consoles come out. And I think that's going to cause problems for it. I also think that its sales seem to be, I don't want to say plateauing because that's not true, but slowing. Do you think that they're, they will, they will do like a pro switch? I, I think that they'll do a dockless switch. Dockless? Yeah. What do you mean? I think that they're going to release a switch that's just a handheld. Right. Yeah, I could see that. Because they can probably cut a little bit of the price out by getting rid of the dock and maybe even making a new form factor that can tether the Joy-Cons to the console or something because there's I don't think they're gonna make in other words I don't think they're gonna make like a beefier switch that's not a Nintendo move they've never done something like that yeah exactly and I, if anything but they, they might w- have to is the thing it's like that's the thing it's like with this generation it's particularly gonna be 
the 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 jump from now to uh, from this generation to the next one is going to be very very based on power. That's also just not the way I like to play games. Really, I yeah, like to play yeah. with a big screen and you know while I'm lounging. I yeah. like both. I like playing. Like I've been playing Chasm. I like it. Yeah, it, yeah. but it's not like the it doesn't ex- it doesn't bring the same joy out of me to play uh, Doom on a small screen. Right. Right. You know, it's cool right. that I can do that, but it's I'm always gonna want that big like you know yeah. like like all the bass like busting out of the like breaking my ceiling yeah no you, you know? you're absolutely right i just think that switch is it is stuck in limbo and, and between a rock and a hard place but i just think they're gonna ride it i i think that they probably will they have the they have the goodwill to ride exactly it. exactly and so i think it's cool that people are excited about it i am skeptical i'm not skeptical of switch's future i'm skeptical of its trajectory Hmm. that yeah. they anticipated between March of this year and March of next year that they're going to sell 20 million units. No, they're not. I'll tell you right now. No, they're not. They blew their load because they had to. There won't be one game, not one game, that comes to Switch that will be as big as either Mario Odyssey or Zelda. Their two biggest games are already out. You know, Even the Pokemon game that's coming out this fall is not a mainline Pokemon game. And it'll do fine. It's attached to Pokemon Go. That's all cool. But I do think people misunderstand the idea that Nintendo people already own a Switch. You need new people. If Smash Brothers sold hardware, then why did the fucking N64 and the Wii U and all and the GameCube not sell hardware? If that's true, if Smash Brothers is so important, then why did Wii U sell like 15 million units? You know, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Smash Brothers is a weird one because it's it's specifically a game that doesn't require you to own it. You just need to know somebody who has it. It's not like Mario where it's like, oh, this is an experience I want to have myself. It's inherently a social game. So you don't even... It's probably going to sell less than Mario and, and Zelda did. Yeah, I mean, they did what they had to do, Yeah. right? They had to do it. They, But in a, in a perfect world, they wouldn't have put Zelda and Mario so close to each other. Because yeah. those are marquee titles, and you're probably not going to get new ones of either of those. And if you do, you're going to get a Majora's Mask like Zelda, and you're going to get a kind of spin-off-y Mario game. I don't know. I, I, I root for Nintendo. I'm, I have an OG Nintendo fan from way back. They are the reason that I love video games. But they're not the, reasons that I, the reason that I love them today. So it's not that they don't speak to any gamer. They just don't speak to me. And they're going to f- start flattening. I know that Octopath Traveler made them sell the best in July, but it's July, guys. Let's see what happens in September and October and November and December. And let's see who who's beating who at that point. And then we'll be able to have a better gauge on what's going on there. It's a very nice kit. I don't think it's very comfortable to hold. I think it's awkward. But I think it's too big. But mm-hmm. it's exactly what I... The ironic thing is it's exactly what I said that they needed to do. So it's like, who am I... I, I long before the hybrid was announced, I was like, they need a hybrid. Some, a, a handheld you can plug into a TV. And they gave it to us. So who the hell am I to complain? They did exactly what I asked them to do. Yeah, look at that. There's only a few more questions. Let's blaze through them. All right. I already deleted one of them because I think it's not good enough, frankly. Okay. And we're already at two hours or so. Oh, shit. Devin McGuire wrote in and said, hey, Colin and Chris, love the podcast. My question is for Colin. I don't understand the behavior of Square Enix when it comes to their old titles on PS4. Why don't they port games like Final Fantasy Tactics and Chrono Trigger to mobile, but not to PS4? Do they not make enough money? Is trophy support that much of a hassle? This annoys me to no end, and I don't understand why I can't play Final Fantasy Tactics on my PS4 at this point in time. I don't know either. They release these games on Steam too and on iOS. They do have trophies or like their achievement systems on those places. So I don't really quite understand it either. Like you think that they would put Final Fantasy Tactics, War of the Lions 
on PS4 for $20 with trophies and watch them sell literally a million units for little, little to no work. So yeah, it was a little confusing. Meanwhile, they released Final Fantasy VII with trophies. They released Final Fantasy IX with trophies. They released Final Fantasy XII with trophies. <laughs> you know, so yeah. something's mixed up in there for sure. But you got to be careful what you ask for because I don't know if you guys have seen the Steam versions or the iOS versions of Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy VI, but oh my God. Those games are beautiful games on SNES and they look like absolute horse shit on Steam. And I think they fixed one of them recently. Because people complained so much. They like basically redrew everything. Oh and it's like, God. why would you ever do that? Wow. To some of the most beautiful pixel art ever made. Oh, we don't geez. I don't want redrawn anything, dude. Enough already. That's crazy. Elliot wrote into us and says, Greetings and salutations, Colin and Chris. Stop stealing my line. It's Elliot. very formal for a question. I hope you guys are doing well. Thank you. Yeah. I firmly believe that the price of games has to go up. Games are costly to make and put tremendous pressure on developers as the games typically make or break some studios. Where would you set the new price point, and how do devs and publishers ease gamers up to that point? Thanks for being awesome and providing such great conversation. Where do you stand on this? So let's let's frame it in, a, in an American perspective, Chris. Okay. Games, retail games, AAA retail games are $60. They've been $60 for about 10 years. They used to be $50. A lot of younger gamers don't remember that. In the cartridge era, games span anywhere from $30 or $40 to $100, depending on the chipset. And that was for anything. Like so Fantasy Star 4 and Genesis was $99.99 when it came out. Wow. Final Fantasy 4, which we knew was Final or 6, which we knew was Final Fantasy 3, was $79.99 when it came out on SNES the year before. But you could at the same time buy NHL 95 for $50. Okay. We're not in that situation anymore. We have dual ray Blu-ray or dual layer Blu-ray that costs the same and you can put a shit ton of data on them. What's the perfect price point for the next gen? <sighs> I think probably 80. I think $79.99 a solid starting point you know because it sounds like it's not that far up from 60 for the because it's got a seven in it it's like psychological you know mm. but it's still like a 20 dollar jump and i'd be happy paying paying 80 dollars for the games that i know that i'm gonna want you know um but i also i'm also very aware that i am in a position now that i wasn't you know when i was a kid yeah who wanted who wanted to get some games maybe w- maybe have a different price for digital also i don't know that's the thing is that there needs to be an exploration of digital pricing because the reality is, is that if you could cut out GameStop, you can cut out Amazon, and you can cut out the production and the shipping and all those kinds of things, you only need to sell a $60 game today for 45 bucks. Mm. So even if the studio is not making enough, because you have to take into account inflation and all those kinds of things too, which are really important, and games are just more expensive to make. You know, the marquee games back in the day, Final Fantasy IV is a great example. Final Fantasy IV developed... 89 and the 90 released in 1991. A team of 10 people made that game. That's considered that's a triple A game for that time. That it didn't get any better than that. You couldn't make fucking anything with 10 people in three years today by the by the metric of triple A development. Yeah. You need a team of 150 people working for four or five years who are all techno technically advanced and can do other things, by the way. So your engineers are in demand. So if they're making if they're systems level, high level engineers working on your engines and something like that, you gotta pay them. Because they'll just go somewhere else. If your artist is your artist can go do commercial art. Yeah. You know, your your writer can go write a book. <laughs> you know, so all of these things I think have to be taken into account that our expectations, we were talking earlier about expectations with cyberpunk, how our expectations are getting higher and higher and and are either being met or aren't being met. I think that's super relevant to this conversation because you need to not only account for inflation, like I said, but you need to account for the cost of making a game. It's simply just more expensive to make games. Mm-hmm. And 
So I think $80 is reasonable, but I don't think that would be acceptable. I think $69.99 is going to be the price point immediately for the next generation games. I, I would be shocked, absolutely floored if they kept the games at $59.99. Yeah. Like that's, that's the only thing that I can possibly say about this. They would love to do this already. But again, I'll make the point that if you can have disparate pricing for retail and for digital, then they could literally say like this digital game, this uh, Cyberpunk on PlayStation 5 is $60 if you download it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then we're totally fine with that. In fact, we're making more money than ever on that at $60 price point, And you pay the exact same. Yeah. No, that'd be a pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. But they won't do that yet. As I've said before, they will not. They can snap GameStop's neck like that by doing that. It'll be over. Yeah. You know? But they're just. Someone's going to do it, though. Someone's going to do it eventually. And I'm very curious as to see, like, who it's going to be. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Jay Lewis wrote in. Said, greetings and salutations, Colin and Chris. What's up with you guys saying greetings and salutations? Is it because I say it constantly? Probably. No, that was two in a row. I've been pondering what the next PlayStation could look like as one does. Then I got to thinking. With all the talk of next-gen consoles possibly being the last home consoles, what are the odds that Sony makes the PS5 upgradable? There was some early rumors of the PS4 being upgradable back in the day, which obviously turned out untrue. But I was just curious if you lads thought this would be the route Sony goes. Thanks for all you do, and more importantly, thanks for making Tuesdays great again. What he's talking about here, Chris, is modular consoles. Yeah, modular consoles. I remember. I remember. I remember those uh, theories. The idea of a modular console is not necessarily new, and we should note that the the first major modular console was actually Nintendo sixty four. But even if you look at Genesis and Famicom and all the add ons that you can put onto it, like Satellaview with SNES or Super Famicom and Sega CD with Genesis and all of that, and obviously N sixty four had the RAM pack, the expansion pack. Modular consoles are not necessarily a new thing. I would actually be surprised if there is, if it's, it's not totally modular, but that there's got to be some way that they bake into it the idea that you can switch things out or change things up, at least a couple components. But I don't know if that's dangerous to give the consumer those many that many options because then on the back end, you have to deal with customer care and people fucking their console up and all that. So there's a risk. There's an inherent risk there that can make them eat shit. So what do you think? Do you think that we'll see that? I don't foresee that because I don't think it's necessary yet. Um, people are more... It seems like we're moving in more of a... Like, in more of a direction that you see in the mobile space, like with iPhones and with Androids. I think what you're going to see is more so like you know, here's uh, well, there's there's rumors of the next Xbox coming out with two different SKUs. One of them being a streaming console for, which is like what what, and then the other one, which is like the proper you know uh, sequel console. And I think that's probably it's probably about right. I think we're probably going to see different power models. I think, and then we're just kind of going to kind of just going to have to get used to this weird kind of upgrade system. Where I I don't foresee like Microsoft giving you the ability to switch out RAM, you know, even in this position where they're like trying everything, I don't I just don't see that happening. Uh, I do see maybe cheaper consoles over uh, a shorter lifespan to keep uh, upgrading, but I don't know. With fluid, it's all up in the air, honestly, yeah. right now. It's like we're we're <laughs> we're like speculating on whether or not dinosaurs will be back. Yeah. At this point, no, it's true. It's true. Yeah, there's got to be a fluidity to it if they do a solid state, con not a solid state, that's not true because that's not a, that's not what I mean, a console that's frozen, then mm -hmm. yeah, th there needs to be quicker turnaround and cheaper price points for those consoles. And I think Microsoft is testing the waters with this, this again, the subscription system because they can do the old phone style thing of like, we're going to basically pay you to take this console off our hands. You basically get it for free. Yeah. And 
I think there's something to it. I think there's something to that. No, absolutely. I mean, if they're doing it, there's got to be some market research behind it. At the very least, it gives them constant and steady income that they can rely upon. If someone's paying $50 or $40 a month for this shit, then they know they're going to get 600 You know, that's a lot of money, guys, by the way. Like, it's, I don't know that it's necessarily worth it to do that for you. <laughs> yeah. Because you're paying, like, four times more for your console. But it's, it's like why Rent the Center still exists. Like, people actually do that shit. Yeah, no, exactly. Instead of saving up for the couch, you go rent it for $20 a week, and then you end up paying $4,000 for it. But more power to you. Oh, man. Final question. It's an interesting one. It comes from Sawyer McKay. He says, Howdy, hey, fellas. There's been lots of hullabaloo recently about representation of minorities and women in games. But my question is this. Where are the people of faith? I dare say that we're just as underrepresented as any other category of people. Why not have, say, a Southern Baptist protagonist, just to use my own background as an example, and explore all the nuances and challenges that worldview brings with it in the context of the game? I'm not excluding those outside evangelical Christianity. I just use my own faith because it's what I know. And I'd love to see respectful, nuanced portrayals of people like me in games and other entertainment. As of now, I can think of zero such characters. And it frankly feels like the entertainment biz just pretends we don't exist. This is an interesting question. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I don't know. What do you, what do you think? I got to like ruminate on uh, Well, there are villains that have religi- like religious connotation or stories that have religious connotation. Far Cry 5 is the most recent example of that. Yeah. Comstock. Yeah, Comstock's a great example from Bioshock Infinite. So yeah, you're not talking about antagonists, but it's worth noting that there are religious glimpses in the games. I mean, everybody's gone to The Rapture is a religious game. The Rapture being a, you know, Christian, you know, really Catholic thing. Yeah. So I wanted to use this question, actually, Chris, because I want people to tell us if they can. Like, can you think of any protagonists that are like a, a man of the cloth or a religious person or on a religious quest? Certainly they exist. Can you think of like a religious quest in a game from, from a religious perspective? I, I actually I can, can't. but it's all in the context of the character finding his way out of it. You know, right. so I don't. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, there's not really that many that are just like religious the whole time. Indeed. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Hadn't thought about that. Yeah, definitely. But I've also but I also don't know if there are many characters who are explicitly non-religious either. Hmm. Which is another thing That's to true. kind of think about. Like, yeah. I think the idea is a lot of characters are kind of blank slate-ish in that regard. Specifically because there has to be some way that a player can, you know, project themselves onto, onto it. Or onto the character. So, yeah, I don't know. I can't, I can't think of any specific... I can't think of, like, atheist protagonists either necessarily maybe there's a few i'm sure there's more than there are religious ones but there's i I really doubt there's over 10 or 20 right that i can think of you know it's a thought-provoking question because i'd I'd like to play a game from that perspective too yeah is god of is is kratos an atheist i don't he's a god that's the thing so i don't i don't know i mean iron man's an atheist and he's walking around with thor so no interesting i didn't know i don't know i didn't know that who cares i don't know enough about (laughs) iron man apparently (laughs) Yeah, there are, I mean, even with Last of Us 2, there seems to be, again, it's from the antagonist perspective, but there seems to be a religious component to that game. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Write into us if you have any thoughts. Is is Mar- is John Marston from Red Dead religious? I feel like I kind of assumed that he was. I think, all, I think a lot of those guys were religious, but I don't know. Hmm. I think he's more talking about, like, the perspective of the religion being, like, tantamount to... Right to the right. story, as opposed to like a component of a player, you know. Because even in Castlevania, you go to churches to like heal yourself and shit, you know. Yeah, and you use like holy water, but that's like <laughs> yeah. not a. Yeah, that's not. It's an, it's inherent that it's Christian, but. 
Yeah, but it's I don't not. Know. That's a good. Yeah, it's a good point. I hadn't thought about it. Actually, Castlevania might be a great example of that. I mean, those guys all wear crosses and like are clearly devout religious people that are trying to kill vampires in the name of spirituality. So maybe, 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 yeah, yeah. Castlevania, the Golden Child. Yeah, of course, one of the greats. Uh, that's all the questions we have, and I think we've gone long enough, Chris. Yeah, today. this is a long one. So let's wrap it up. Yeah. Thank you so much for your kindness listening to us supporting us remember again support us on patreon patreon.com slash collins last stand if you listen on free feeds leave us nice reviews share us with your friends and allow us to keep growing we do appreciate your support yes as we as we find our way chris any closing comments before we go uh no i'm uh man i hope we get i hope we get this this spider-man stuff sorted i know me too by the time you guys hear this, by the way, on free feeds on patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand, the exclusive episode of Sacred Symbols with Chris will have been live. So go check it out. We appreciate you. We love you. We thank you. We'll see you next time. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is fan supported over at patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon. And I want to thank you from the very bottom of my heart for your incredible kindness and generosity. Ahmed Alloways, Martin Beck, Fred Bentz, Michael Betts, David Blodel, Mark Boggio, Spencer Brand, Isaac Brewer, Lennon Brixie, Matthew Brousseau, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Andrew Burkhart, Alex Cabrera, William Caldwell, Luis Cancado, Matthew Canoy, William O'Carroll, Shermer Carter, William Cashel, Brian Chand, Travis Chandler, Sean Chandler, Kenneth Char, David Chestnut, Steve Clifford, Dan Clifford, Chris Cochran, Simon Conception Jr., Brad Cooley, Nick Cummings, Daniel D'Amore, Daniel Del Nikos, Travis DePew, Mitchell Durkash, David Ellis, Albert Escobar, Brian Fink, Joe Finelli, Eric Fickenbeiner, Connor Gashian, Alexander Gates, Michael Gates, Daniel Glassford, Nick Goblersh, Tyler Goodwin, David S. Graham, Josh Gravelick, Ryan Greenwood, Miranda Grubba, Nick Gustafson, Andres Guzman, Tyler Harris, Wyatt Henry, Josh Yeager, Clarence Johnson, Paul Joyce, Greg Julefs, Jeremy Key, Kevin Komaki, Taylor C. Laudrin, Jackson Lastica, Donald Laws, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith A. Lewis, Chad Lewis, Mark Liberto, Lou and Ray Loper, Josh M., Ryan T. Mandel, John McManus, Joe McPartland, Albert Miranda, Patrick Malloy, Betty Ann Moriarty, Abe Mukhtar, Brian Nietzsche, Connor Nesbitt, Josh Netzel, Adam Nix, Brian Ott, Jorge Palomino, Reed K. Parker, Todd Paxton, Brendan Peavy, Marius S. Peterson, Enrique Perez, Eric A. Peterson, Jason Pettit, Lawrence F. Prokop, Eric R. Pryor, Brandon Reed, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Austin Riley, Ramon Rodriguez Jr., Petro Rose, Michael Sanchez, Matthew Savoy, John Scholes, Chris Schaefer, Toby Schutman, German Sadu, Riley Smith, Jared Stuave, Alexander Suarez, Stephen Summingit, Ahmad Tamar, Tam Tran, Esteban Valentin, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Tyler Woodall, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zuniga, Casual Misfits Gaming, Supershot ST, Madmock Media, Beric, Mubarak, Dav9834, Chris, and Donk2015. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. 
That's A-N-G-I dot com.